Hello there, Dave here. I'd like to begin today's episode by thanking a few people who have supported Tales from the Backlog on Patreon. People like Chris Nelson, new patron Eric Guess, and many more. They've gone to patreon.com slash realdavejackson and kicked me a few bucks to keep the show going, and they're receiving some treats. You can also be a hero of mine and go to patreon.com slash realdavejackson and check it out. All right, let's get to the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Dave Jackson, and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to talk about a game we played. My guest today is a friend of the show, co-host of the Retro Hangover podcast, and Deep Purple enthusiast, Chris Copeland. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. What's uh, the Deep Purple? Is that because of eggplants? Oh, it could be because of the uh, the old eggplant dragon thing we got going on over there. Uh, Absolutely. But also because of the game's soundtrack. I was trying to think of something I can put on you from this game that's not going to be a big spoiler, so I'm just going to go with Deep Purple. Hmm. Okay, that and Jimi Hendrix, definitely. Yeah, right. 70s rock enthusiast. Hell yeah. Yeah. Today's game, if you haven't figured it out from that discussion or uh, from the episode title, which you most assuredly read, we're talking about Spec Ops The Line today which is a third-person shooter developed by Jaeger Entertainment, I'm going to guess because it's German, published by 2K Games for the Xbox 360, PS3, and PC in 2012. Elevator pitch for Spec Ops The Line. I need to give you an elevator pitch without spoiling it, but it seems like your standard military third-person shooter. It is not. And that is uh, where I'm going to stop that elevator pitch. (laughs) Um. (laughs) And that gives us a uh, kind of smooth transition into the spoiler policy for this episode. We are going to talk about kind of the story setup, and I kind of want to talk about some of the themes because it is a pretty special game, I think. We'll talk about gameplay and stuff too, but we'll save big spoiler stuff for the spoiler section as always. Moving on, Chris, before we get into it, I want to give you a chance to talk about Retro Hangover because it's a podcast that I started listening to recently and I really dig it. So can you tell my uh, listeners what it's all about? Well, first of all, I I feel like a total prick because I didn't say thank you for having me on the show. Uh, (laughs) I talk a lot. I probably I probably just kept talking where you probably would have said that. So no worries, dude. uh, Oh, no, I completely (laughs) dropped the ball on that one. So thank you for having me on. Uh, Yeah, it is a a pleasure. Uh, But Retro Hangover. Uh, we we are obviously, I mean, you could probably infer by the name, a retro gaming podcast. And the hangover part is we used to do the show absolutely uh, shit-faced in, in the really early episodes. We grabbed some beers, uh, craft beers, and we drink while we recorded video game news. Mm-hmm. So the show's, show's changed quite a bit since 2015. And now we essentially take a game and we, you know, give a brief history after talking about what we've been currently playing. And then we just kind of go through the game in terms of our own personal experiences, a uh, the story, the gameplay, which is usually the longest part. And then 
uh, graphics sound, and then we close it out about whether or not we think the game holds up today. And yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. Sometimes we do episodes where we interview people, and sometimes, uh, very occasionally, we do system reviews and gaming personality reviews. It's been a while since we've done that, though. But yeah, it's it's been going on for seven years now. You know, on and off. Took a two year break because I got sent out of the country, mm-hmm. and yeah, now we've been going since I've came back. You know, for almost four, well, over four strong years. And we're we're making it work, and it's been a great time, and got to meet a lot of interesting podcasters like yourself, and and so many other people in in this like little circle we have going on here. So it's it's been great, man. Yeah, that is one of the best things about doing this. I mean, like it's nice to make something. It's nice to talk to somebody about video games. It's nice to have people listen to what you make. But the th- I mean, I always say this: the thing I definitely didn't expect is to have such a cool welcoming and like just great network of people i've met through it that we you know we talk to all the time in discord servers and stuff like that including yours over at retro hangover it's uh it's been awesome i will say my partner is shane i I just said we a lot so Uh i have to give him some credit i have to throw his credit out there because (laughs) i don't i don't want to get in trouble been like why why didn't you say my name okay i'm sorry dude uh yeah my partner is Shane. He he does amazing work and I the the show absolutely wouldn't be possible without him. So I did I do have to mention him. Yeah. It's a it's a good show. I there are a lot of retro gaming podcasts out there, but I really enjoy the uh the personality and the the chemistry that you two have uh together when talking about sometimes, you know, with retro gaming shows and video game shows in general, you're bound to have a lot of podcasts talking about the same stuff sometimes. And mm-hmm. I don't know, some you guys stand out. I really enjoy listening. So again, it's good to have you on the show. Not talking about a retro game, though, today. Uh, we, we would probably consider this to be retro. All right. The 10 year rule. Damn it. 2012. Yes. <laughs> yes. OK, so if this is a retro game, then Dark Souls is a retro game. Everybody get used to it. It is. It is. <laughs> Shane keeps on trying to get me to do it. A little bit of disclaimer for people who do pick up our show, though. Just make sure that you don't have any small children uh, within the first five minutes of listening to the episode, or else uh, they'll start probably crying due to loud noises. If you don't like loud noises, this skips you a little bit. <laughs> Skip ahead a few minutes, or uh, yeah, make sure that your your uh, earphones are turned down a little bit at the beginning, just a little bit. Just a little bit. You <laughs> like to sc- I like to yell. It's yeah. a trademark now. So everybody, uh, check out Retro Hangover. It's a good show. Down in the show notes, I will have things for a retro hangover down there. Again, it has the Tales from the Backlog seal of approval for what that's worth. It's worth a lot. We are going to get started talking about Spec Ops The Line by talking about our personal histories with the game and what originally made us want to play this. And this is a kind of an interesting one uh, for me, but Chris, I'll kick it to you first. The guest always goes first. Why Spec Ops The Line? Because I had heard it was a different game. I heard it was a seminal game that that needed to be played by anyone who just likes to play video games especially if you were kind of skeptical on on shooters in general i'm not a big military first person shooter guy i'm just not a first person shooter guy in in general i i enjoyed gears of war which i guess is appropriate for this game we'll get in get into that um Mm -hmm. but for the most part just like military shooters were just not my jam and I think this game actually got spoiled for me, but it was enough of a spoiler that it intrigued me. You know, sometimes you're told the plot of a game and it 
it brings you to the game instead of turning you off. And it's just like any good story, a good movie, a good book. If the story is good enough, my philosophy is, is the way that the game delivers the story is good enough, then no spoiler will ultimately ruin that story or ruin that presentation. So I jumped in. I think it was last year, actually. Uh, we just got my Series X, and I was like, you know what? I, I bought this game. I've had it for a year or two. I want to see if it's backwards compatible. I want to see if I can play some 360, uh, 360 games on my Series X. And fortunately, it is. And it was. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to play through this because this is supposed to be a standout title, and I'm I'm ready to embrace it. And that's really my own personal history. I didn't play it when it was new. I didn't hear about it when it was new. I probably wasn't even interested because it's it's Spec Ops. And I look at that, I see military shooter, and I'm immediately disinterested. I just, I don't have time for it. And, of course, years later, I'm hearing it's not quite that. And now, immediately, my interest is, you know, peaked. I'm I'm completely ready to give it a shot. Yeah, I, I'm kind of like you. Like, I also didn't hear about this when it first came out. Definitely, when it first released, I did not hear about it at all. And then... The box art looks familiar. So like when I first like when I was going to go actually play it and I looked at the box art, I was like, that looks familiar. I probably just thought military shooter. I don't like those uh, in general. I think that a lot of military shooters are basically propaganda. And I would, you know, just put it off and exactly like you, people I trust brought it up in the, you know, the realm of games that are like, hey, this is not what you think it is. This is better than you would you know, judge from the cover art and you should play this. Like if you like video games in the way that video games can deliver stories in the way that other media can't really do, you know, play spec ops. So I was like, yes. okay, sure. And it also helps that this is not a long game and which I, I look up before every game I play, how long does this take? Yep. And spec ops is like a five hour game, maybe. So after that, it's basically a home run to play. The only thing is, how do I play this? Because I don't have an Xbox and my PC can't really run anything with 3D graphics made after 2002. So uh, PS Now actually had this. And so I streamed this. Both times I've played this game were streamed over PS Now. And it hits the uh, the graphics take a hit when you stream on that uh, PS Plus now. But other than that, it was just fine to play. So I played through it twice now. And this is a good segue into opening thoughts. When I did play it, I played through the entire game in one sitting, about five, five and a half hours in one sitting, maybe got up to go to the bathroom once or twice. It is that good. The story grabbed me that much that I could not put it down. And I kept thinking about it. And I always knew, like, especially when I started thinking about games to cover on this podcast, I was like, I got to replay Spec Ops. I got to find someone to talk about this with because this game rules. Uh, like you said in your kind of personal history there, Chris, I think this is a game that if you like video games, if you, at the bare minimum, if you don't really hate shooters, like if you can tolerate a shooter at all, make this the one that you play, I think. So how about you, man? I, I didn't play it in one sitting it probably took me a couple of sittings mostly because i'm just terrible at shooting games i'm probably mm -hmm. one of the worst <laughs> people to play 
shooters, not just first person shooters, but just shooters in general. I am just awful at it. I, and I can't bring myself to put a game on easy mode, right? Because I have just too much pride. Like, no, I'm not going to play this on easy. It's normal. And I think that's mostly ingrained from retro gaming years when you would put a game on easy and that you get to like level four out of eight and they'd laugh at you and they'd be like, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> now you must play the real challenge. Uh-huh. So I'm like, okay, whatever. So it, it took me probably more around six to seven hours, a little bit longer than the average playthrough, maybe even longer than that. And what I can say is like, yeah, the, the story definitely gripped me. Uh, there is, there is a couple of irritations about the gameplay that we can get into. But again, that's more because I suck rather than, you know, it was fundamentally flawed. But I, mm-hmm. I think there's some aspects there. Yeah. But in terms of the story itself, yeah, I mean, it, it appealed to my my views on things. And like, I'm trying to be very nondescript, of course. <laughs> but uh, it, it very much appealed to my worldview. It very much appealed to just just my view on war in general Mm -hmm. and you know i i I knew that those things were in store for me going into it but like i like i had just previously said if the delivery is good enough then you're then you should be able to enjoy what's there even if you know what's coming and i did and yeah that's that's kind of where i'm at at this uh to start things off here yeah Fair enough. I should say a couple things. I was partially spoiled on this before I started playing because I listened to a podcast about it and they said too much before I hit the pause button. So (laughs) kind of things like that are kind of the reason I do my show the way I do it, Um, which, you know, my fault, not theirs. I was the one who hit play and uh, I did play on easy because I'm also terrible at shooters. And at this point, like unless a shooter is just very mechanically fun to play, I will automatically bump shooters down to easy. I don't even try on the normal difficulty anymore because a lot of games just like don't have interesting ways to make things hard in shooters. They just like, you know, this enemy takes 400 bullets to kill. Bullet or sponges, there are, yeah. Yeah, 10 million of them. So yeah, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to give a story intro for the game. In Spec Ops The Line, you play as Captain Martin Walker, voiced by Nolan North uh, from Uncharted fame. And last week, a mystery character in The Last of Us, if you listened to that episode all the way through. You're joined by your two squad mates, uh, who are First Lieutenant Alfonso Adams and Staff Sergeant John Lugo. Your crew in this game kind of fit the, I don't know, the stereotypes of a group of three army dudes, I feel like. You've got the one is very straight-laced, the other one is very goofy, and then you are the main character as uh, Captain Walker. Uh, but the crew is very likable. I like them a lot. Uh, by the end of the story, like you said, this game plays with stereotypes and what you're expecting. Did we say that? I just said it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> the crew is good. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the crew is rather endearing. It's, as you said, very stereotypical. You're going in there with a bunch of dude bros to do dude bro stuff uh-huh. and to <laughs> be, you know, typical let's kick ass against the, the, the evil insurgents here that are, that are trying to kill us and go America. And that's, that's everything that you're pretty much given right off the get. And yeah. that's intentional. Uh, hey, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure very yeah. intentional. And I mean, there's, there's nothing really initially that's all that standout in terms of the story. Of course, y- there is very much standout things about the story. And what, what kind of, what kind of sucks about when you say anything about the story here is, it's just, you have to be so intentionally vague to not spoil it. Cause I know you have the spoiler wall, man. I'm just <laughs> trying to be careful. Yeah. I, there's some games where I put people in difficult positions. A few episodes ago, I had uh, Keith from the main quest and we talked about Outer Wilds and he was having a hard time <laughs> with that one. So I get it. Oh, sure. I mean, of course, the game is going to go in directions that even if I say it goes in directions, you don't think it will go because it certainly does. I, I think when it, by the time you get there, you don't really realize it until you've you've kind of crossed the Rubicon, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for the most part, it still feels like your standard Call of Duty, and you could be playing this game through the entire way through. Now, especially if you get to the end, you're going to have different feelings about it, right? Right. Uh, I think it's pretty out in the open what this game is about towards the end. But for the most part, you could probably make it halfway through this game, and it's not until you really look back at what you have played and what the story is trying to tell you that you you realize kind of what the game is trying to do. It's a very gradual experience in that sense it, it yeah. it's not overtly in your face with some very few exceptions and mm-hmm. even those those i think that those exceptions are just more pronounced because of how graduated the experience is and yeah. how it's it's so generic other otherwise and i i think yeah that's why i think the story is it's just an absolute master class in what you can do especially for a shooter especially at that time it's yeah heads it's just everything is just up way above anything that you could expect so like you said it starts out with this very basic thing like you, you feel like you've played a hundred games or watched a hundred movies with this same concept so it's it's set in dubai uh after cataclysmic sandstorms have kind of buried the city and just generally you know destroyed everything there and uh before i move on dubai i think dubai is a cool setting for a uh, a video game like this dubai this rich opulent corrupt place is now destroyed by these sandstorms you're going through like the ruins of these uh skyscrapers these kind of once luxury places are now destroyed in several ways uh desecrated some of them and it's i don't know i just i like the kind of you know the contrast cuz there's still some parts of these skyscrapers that look brilliant and opulent if i want to throw out a nice word there uh mixed with you know there's sand everywhere and you know of course all the destruction and stuff like that too it's a it's a cool setting have you ever been to dubai i have not i got close to buying plane tickets a few times but never went have you yes okay it's it feels extremely fake like this this place should not exist yeah that's that's my takeaway (laughs) <laughs> a lot of people have compared it to the Vegas of the Middle East, and I think that's mm-hmm. quite appropriate. 
I mean, I was there on doing military stuff. We were we were in port for a little bit on a ship I was on, mm-hmm. and I was hanging out with some people who were more permanently ingrained there. And well, they were deployed there for a little bit to protect our ship. Funny enough, and you would go into these hotels, and most of the people there, like most of the people buying stuff, are at the bars. I mean, it makes sense when you consider the region and that you know, if if you're Muslim or or you practice Islam, you you're not supposed to be drinking alcohol. And for the most right. part, a lot of those people adhere to that. But that means everywhere I went, where alcohol is being consumed, there's a lot of British people there and everything like that. <laughs> so it's a it's a city that just nothing really feels real about it. Mm-hmm. It's and it's surreal because you look around this place and and you see how how commercialized everything is and like there's grass and and trees on strips by the street and there's also surrounded by by deserts and there's just, just skyscrapers everywhere and it's it feels like you're on like a California beach. And at the same time, it's not. So yeah. I, when you say like this is the perfect setting for this game, I think I think you're absolutely right because it's it's a city that's almost a facade of what it really kind of should be. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know if that was a active choice. I don't know if that was something they were thinking about or if that was their perception of Dubai because there I think there are a lot more cities you can choose, especially during this era because you you could choose. You know, uh, um, somewhere in Kuwait, or you can choose Baghdad, or you can choose right. Tehran. Those mm-hmm. those are easy choices, but to choose Dubai is is an interesting one, and it makes me wonder why that was their choice out of so many other cities in the Middle East. Maybe that was just to avoid any real attachment to any real ongoing conflict in the world. That's probably that's probably. If they're because they're going for something here that a lot of military shooter games are not going for, the choice of some place that's not an active war zone in the real world is probably uh, probably apt there. Yeah, yeah. So in Dubai, uh, you and your crew. Well, the game opens with uh, a kind of very shooter esque uh, scene where you're in some helicopters shooting at other helicopters, but uh, then you're there for your mission. Kind of begins so. Walker and team are on a kind of search for survivors and report type mission. That's their mission. And, um, well, this game goes on for a while. So obviously something continues. Uh, after that, you find a distress call, uh, from a person named Colonel John Conrad, who's kind of a personal hero of Walker's. Uh, he, I think he saved Walker's life in a previous mission or something like that. John Conrad is the real author of the book Heart of Darkness, which heavily inspired this. So pretty, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say on the nose because I I didn't know. Uh, so this game wears its influences on its sleeve in that way, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, these are these are things that you're saying right now that a lot of listeners need to, when they, if they play this game after they listen to this, need to pay attention to They're Everything yeah. here you need to pay attention to, especially that opening scene. It, it will come back and it will be a reminder of source. And that's when this game really starts to take off its mask. Mm-hmm. If you remember that first scene, again, I'm trying to be very careful about yeah. what I say here. But it's, yeah, you start out with the scene, you get thrown back to the beginning. Like you you crash and then you you find your, your team of dude bros to do dude bro things. Yeah. And yeah, just... 
if you waste a minute not essentially trying to remember everything that's going on here, you're not going to get the full experience. This is definitely not a game where you can turn your mind off. And no, that definitely I, I, not. Yeah, I would definitely, I'd probably say that's more of something that could hurt this game to a lot of people, especially if you don't know this game is supposed to be so story driven, because I don't yeah. know how many people actually play these, these shooters for the story. I know it's, it's probably something as someone who doesn't like these kind of games that, you know, just a very casual gamer will go into these games and not appreciate uh, stories. And I could be very wrong. I mean, that's a just a big stereotype that people go in to mm -hmm. play the multiplayer and the campaign just kind of exists because you know, obligatory reasons and yeah. that people don't care about story. But I will say that there are times even when I play games, the story just takes a backseat because I just assume it's going to happen. So if if you typically don't care about story and first person shooters and you do play this game after listening to this episode and you don't listen past the spoiler wall, I will say this, pay attention. Yeah. It's very important. Yeah. And I had this later in the notes, but this is a good time to mention this game does benefit from a replay, like greatly benefits from replaying it. Yes. So you, and it's not like a, uh, this isn't like near automata or, uh, Undertale or something where the game tells you to replay it. The game won't tell you, but to pick up on these things that, that have been placed around in the world, this a lot of environmental storytelling and stuff, you're not going to notice it your first time because you don't know what you're looking for. But when you finish the game, you will have an idea, a much, much clearer idea in your head of what's going on. And if you do replay it, you will like have your mind blown at how much was there the whole time. Yeah. It's, I would recommend people do a replay of this. I haven't yet, so I'm, I'm probably just a <laughs> terrible example here, but I, I think you're absolutely right because you can go to a lot of analysis videos, which by the way, I totally recommend you do not do until after you beat this game. Do not do that. Nope. This is a game that even though it was spoiled for me and I've said already that I, it was good enough that it didn't really matter. You want to go into this game cold. You absolutely 100% want to go into this game cold. Because you want to have that experience and then you want to go see, hey, what did I miss? And then replay it and be like, oh. Yep. And I've played this game twice and I'm still noticing things because I, I mean, I, I enjoy the story and the storytelling in this game so much that I still, from time to time, whenever a new Spec Ops story analysis video comes on my YouTube algorithm, I'm like, yep, I'm watching that. So I'm still finding things in there that I didn't know about. And I've played the game twice. I've watched hours of YouTube videos about it. It's uh there is a lot here to unpack. And I kind of I agree with you like, you know, I'm so careful on this show about spoilers um because this is the kind of show that I wish was around when I was listening to shows about video games before. But I definitely agree with you that if a story is good enough and the way it's delivered is good enough, even if you're spoiled, you can still really love that game and, and that story and the experience of uncovering that story. That That's what happened to me with Soma, which is a game I covered pretty early in this show's thing. I was Phenomenal fully game. spoiled on that story, went back and played it. It hit me just as hard. Kind of doesn't matter if the story's good enough. So I'm with you there. Yeah, I mean, I think Soma's a really apt comparison for this game, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Soma's a fantastic game. And mm -hmm. that's another game that you should definitely play. Yeah. So this game, 
like we we said it's good to go in cold, but I do want to talk about some of the themes that I think make this interesting. And even if you listen to these themes, these are like military shooter themes. They're good military shooter themes, but they will not spoil what happens in the game for you. Um, So this game, I think the biggest thing that this game is talking about is like what happens to you when you just try so hard to be the hero and how that can just blow up in your face. And after things blow up in your face, how you rationalize what you did. I think that's something that this game is commenting on uh, quite a bit throughout the story. Again, without going into specific things, I think there's a lot of situations where people make decisions with bad information or they're trying to convince themselves that, yes, I I do have all the information. I know exactly what I have to do. And then how you rationalize that afterwards and how you live with it and how you continue on kind of driven by this uh, ultimate mission, which is to find the source of this distress call, find Conrad. I would, I would actually tend to disagree with you on okay. the aspect of trying to be a hero. And I, I don't want to go into why, because that will definitely get into spoilers. Yeah. We'll talk so about that I, later. Yeah. Um, no, I, I see what you're, saying because the game is i think the game overtly kind of does that it, it it makes that appearance but i i would tend to agree i mean i would tend to disagree with you again i can't i can't talk about why i disagree with you <laughs> but i i do disagree on on that point i i think it's adjacent to that point where my disagreement is <sighs> but yeah that's that's where i'm going to stop okay <laughs> Also included in he- in this game are uh, situations where both you and the character feel like there is no choice to be made, but there is a choice. There's always a choice. Uh, lots of situations like that. And they do it with play too. And again, I'm telling you this, but when you're playing, a lot of times, like even, even knowing this, I still was like, huh, I, well, this is what I have to do. And oftentimes that's not really the case. And I think that that kind of marriage of uh, gameplay choices mixing with story choices by your main character is like excellent, like top level video game stuff. I actually got again, I got a kind of opposite <laughs> feeling from you. OK, uh, then you did. I, I think I, I'm trying try to be really careful with how I with how I structure this. Right. Is sometimes I, I think this game was more even when you think you have a choice you really don't okay and i if you want to know what i'm talking about it'll it will be in the spoilers again it's, sure. it's just it's it's one of those things that i can't really get into without getting into the the spoilers but i knew i do know where you're coming from because there are instances instances in this game where you do get to make choices and i do think the game gives you Almost the illusion that that choice matters. True. But I don't necessarily think that the end result of those choices are necessarily altered enough that that choice really matters in the end. Yeah, I I don't think this is a game where you, you're not going to set off branching paths of story, but in that split second, like what you choose to do in that moment there are situations where 
you are given a choice, and I will definitely bring this up in the spoiler section when I'm uh, talking about like those specific moments throughout the story that gave me that feeling, uh, for sure. Sure. No, and I can completely understand with that. Um, and I'm interested to see what your take is on the spoilers, because we may not disagree. And there, there's aspects. <laughs> yeah, we may not. I'm just looking at just, what that uh, says. Just masking what we say so much that we're not even agreeing when <gasps> we should be agreeing, perhaps. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And this, like, I've talked about this on, it was a, it was a Patreon episode right now. I've talked about this as like, this, this, this is a game that when you're talking about, and, and, like, when we get to the gameplay, it's going to be a lot easier. I, I swear to God. Right. So people who are just like, they want to, they're getting frustrated listening to this. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. You can't talk about it. You just you can't. We just can't. Okay. I'm frustrated. You're frustrated. We're all frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I want to skip ahead about 45 minutes till we were in the spoiler section. So I can just be like, all right, here's what I mean. All right. Let's hash this out. So, <laughs> exactly. But- Moving on, uh, one thing I think is really good about the storytelling, um, your characters uh, kind of cross lines in the title of the game, Spec Ops the Line, and you see the effects on your characters through the way they look, number one, um, your character's physical appearance will change throughout the game very subtly, but if you look at snapshots from hour four versus hour one, you're like, oh my god, look at that. And then not so subtly at, at some points, too. That's very cool. Their actions, uh, I think, change throughout the game. Like the animations for some of the things change. Uh, there are these there are these attacks on downed enemies called executions where you can kill them uh, quickly, kind of just curb stomp them and get an ammo re- uh, replenish. Uh, those animations change as the game goes. But the biggest thing, the thing that I think is coolest, and this is unconfirmed, so it might not even be true, but uh, their voices changed. That is not a uh, rumor. But I heard that, um, and I read again, unconfirmed by the developers, though, that uh, the voice actors all recorded their lines together in chronological order, which is not standard from what I understand. And by the end of the recording session, their voices are, you know, worn out everyone's sick of each other, everyone's angry, they want to get out of the recording booth, etc., etc. And you can hear this in their voices in the game by the end of it. And I think it's excellent. I mean, yeah, if if that isn't the case, then you have some phenomenal voice actors. I think they yeah. all are phenomenal voice actors anyway. Don't don't miss don't misconstrue that. But mm-hmm. there is definitely a change in tone from the beginning of the game to the end. It is yeah. very noticeable, mm-hmm. not just in appearance, but in in audio quality. And I don't know. I, I think if I was stuck in a recording booth with these vocal talents, I think they would get me getting frustrated at me uh, more <laughs> so than the other way around. I think I get frustrated with myself and maybe just kind of isolate, you know, but well, whoever you're getting frustrated with, I mean, you can, you can absolutely hear it um, as the game goes on. Yes. And uh, overall, like the voice acting, I don't, I don't, I know we're not quite at sound yet, but I mean, it's phenomenal. Uh, Nolan North does a fantastic job as Walker and everything here is just really spot on and brings the game to life and helps make the entire atmosphere work because you need realistic characters for this kind of experience. It's after all, it's a story driven game. So if your characters are not believable and they can't deliver those believable experiences, the immersion is immediately dropped. And any message that you're trying to send, 
and this game is, will be lost on the player, no matter how good the message may be. We can go ahead and talk about that now then. I think, you know, I'm not the most experienced person playing, you know, games with Nolan North in it, just to uh, name the main guy. I mean, I played the Uncharted games, but Nathan Drake is Nathan Drake, you know. I think this is a much better job voice acting wise, much more demanding job too than the average Uncharted game. And I, you know, like you said, I think it's really good. Your two squad mates, Adams and Lugo, they're really good. Other characters that you meet, there's no one who, you know, I'm listening and I'm just like, you know, that's just a guy they pulled out of, you know, accounting to fill in a voice. Everyone's real good. I don't think you're going to get that out of, who is this? Uh, THQ, right? THQ or Ubisoft? Jaeger is the developer, but this is 2K published. 2K. 2K. Yeah. Okay. I was trying to think that they all blend together at that level of publishing for some reason mm-hmm. to me. They all, I don't play a lot of the games, but, um, this is an exception. So, <laughs> uh, but you're not going to get that out of like a major publisher like 2K. They're going to invest in it. They're going to go to the developers and they want these games to be a success. They're going to go for it. So, um, the developers did a great job of getting these, vo- this vocal talent and, uh, great direction. So hats off, you know, good quality here overall. And you're right. You didn't get the intern in accounting to be a voice actor. And if you're an intern in accounting with voice acting aspirations, don't give up. We're not picking on you. We're just saying that (laughs) generally speaking, uh, you you know, just most of you could use a little work. I mean, most of you probably (laughs) suck and you probably know this too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Just, just keep practicing. Uh, We're talking about the intern next to you, not, not you, not you, the person next to you. You're, you're good. (laughs) You know, I'm glad we we talked about the publisher and brought them back up here because that just kind of unlocked like the reason why there are real songs uh, in the game soundtrack. We mentioned Deep Purple. We mentioned Jimi Hendrix. These are mm-hmm. uh, licensed songs that are in the soundtrack for this game, which, again, would not be happening if this were just some uh, indie title. And the soundtrack in this game is, once again, not just because Deep Purple is cool. It fits into the story really, really well. And now I don't want to say any more. I just want to say that I love the song Hush and it fits into the songs or the uh, the game's story extremely well. Mm. I think the, the most memorable song for me is the, the intro. Yeah, the main menu uh, song. The right? main menu. And I can't wait for spoilers to talk about that too. Uh-huh. Everything <laughs> I'm just going to predicate. But I, I'll say that like the... The way that song evolves, depending on where you are in the game and how that displays, is just, it's perfect. It <laughs> It's one of those things that establishes preconceived notions about what you're about to do and mm-hmm. delivers it the way it does. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we'll talk about, again, we'll talk about that in the spoiler section. So uh, before we move <laughs> on to talking about gameplay, this has probably been the hardest game so far in the in this show's uh history to talk about what's going on in the story without talking about what's going on in the story but there are some things i do want to kind of tease you with and i feel like i have teased so chris and i are going to take a break when we come back we're actually going to be able to talk about what it's like to play this game i got a little girl she's on her mind no doubt about it she looks so fine she's the best girl that i ever had Sometimes you're gonna make me feel so bad. 
So Spec Ops The Line is a pretty standard uh, cover-based third-person shooter. Anything you would expect from a cover-based third-person shooter, all the guns, all the uh, grenades, all of the types of enemies that you feel like you're going to be fighting, that's what you're doing. And this game has a reputation. Like, I think that the common knowledge around this game is that the story is great and the gameplay is dog shit. And I don't think that's true. I think the gameplay is fine. It's just a regular third-person shooter. There's nothing special about the gameplay, but it's okay. It's fine. Yeah, I would I would absolutely agree with that. I would say like only have playing the only have played the original Gears of War. I've only played Gears of War 1. Is it as good as Gears of War 1? I would generally say no. But I also think the gameplay was the primary focus of the Gears of War games. That was where they spent most of their time at other than graphics making big beefy boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so here the the focus of the game is is definitely on its narrative, but that doesn't mean that the gameplay is extremely incompetent. I think you even look at reviews of this game when it came out and I think more of the feeling about it was it was average. It was just kind of plain. Mm-hmm. Which look, average here is serviceable because I think it I think it still does everything it does everything good from just like a a very standard point of view. It it does what cover shooters were doing. You can run up to cover, you can, you know, fire from cover. Gunplay is just fine. There's nothing exceptional. And you can pretty much direct your team to do all the killing for you. Like mm-hmm. you you really don't have to put yourself in harm's way all too much. And and your companions are more than capable of doing what you want them to do. Yeah. Which is appreciated. Because a lot of these games, you tell them to do stuff and they don't do it or they die or something <laughs> stupid happens, right? So I, yeah. I do appreciate all that. But I do think you make a good point is a lot of people like to rail on this game in terms of its gameplay. And I think that's really undeserved because have have games like this come a long way since? I'm sure they have. I don't know because I don't play a lot of these games. But you have to remember, it's not the main point of the game and that's not... I mean, I guess we've already kind of established that. I'm I'm being really redundant here. (laughs) But I think even just above average or or serviceable doesn't mean you should be able to rip it to shreds. An average game, as long as you can play it, it it still means that you can play it. And it's if it's not stunning or doing anything different, it's just relying on very tried and true techniques. Is that really a knock on it? I don't think so. It just means it should be familiar. It means that you should be able to get through this game in ways, even if the gameplay may be boring. And at some points, I think it is. But again, this goes back to a point I want to make when we get into the spoiler section, because I think a lot of these sections that are boring are very deliberate. Yeah, agreed. The gameplay is not always super fun, but it's fine to get you to that point where the story at least grabbed me. And then, like, I'm thinking through some scenes that happen later in the game that you know, could get old, but I'm so driven by what's going on in the story that I'm not really thinking to myself like, oh, you know, this is this is an average third person shooter. I'm not having a ton of fun right now. I'm exactly. thinking about the story when I'm playing it. So it's fine. It does its job. And again, this game's five hours long. It's, you know, it's not going to take you a long time to get through it. Like you might go through it and think like, hey, you know, this is you know, Uncharted 4 is a lot more fun to play. Of course it is. Uncharted 4 came out 
you know, on a different, you know, next gen console after this, if we're sticking with Uncharted, which I am. But is this game more fun to play than Uncharted 1? Yeah, it is. And so it's, it's fine. And I will not stand for uh, the, you know, prevailing wisdom that it's dog shit. It's not. If if I had to give just the gameplay, just the gameplay, like a rating of what you could expect, it's probably like a six to seven out of ten. Sure. Like it's not stellar, it's just above average, it's functional, it's not broken. You're you're going to be able to do the things you want to do. Mm-hmm. Like it you're not it, it's not like your gun is just going to point off in a different direction. Right. Or your aim is <laughs> off, or your trigger control doesn't work, or the the buttons are so messed up in terms of how you aim and and do all these things that it's just not going to work. No, everything works. It's it's completely competent. It's completely mm-hmm. functional. And like you said, it's actually in some ways better than a lot of contemporary shooters or other ones I've played because I think the AI is actually pretty good. Like you said, yep. your squad mates Adams and Lugo do what you ask them to do, and I think the enemy AI is fine. It's pretty good. They'll try to flank you they'll you know if you're hiding behind cover they'll throw grenades whatever you expect and maybe a little bit more at least from an ai perspective i don't like smart ai either i I don't (laughs) like getting outsmarted by the computer which is kind of irritating here but they because they're oh yes you are right like the enemy ai is smart but one of the things too is that i enjoyed about this when you go to ai and your ai partners being good it does make you think tactically without making you overthink tactically Mm -hmm. it's not like a rainbow six or anything like that you're not going to be doing any of that but you do have to think about how you're approaching enemies probably a little bit more than your standard fps like your doom or or something like that now yeah gears of war put a lot of that in and i I know i'm going back to the well gears of war a lot because again i don't play a lot of these games so that's i mean i've i've said uncharted like four times already in this episode so yeah (laughs) So if you're like, oh, but all these other games did it. Look, guys, I, I play JRPGs. That's yeah. <laughs> that's my bread and butter. So if if I can cover shoot in like Clive Barker's Spear of Destiny or whatever they have, <laughs> is it I don't even know. Do they still do Tom Tom Clancy? Clive, I don't know. They're authors. Just uh-huh. slap a name on there and give them a gun and tell them to go pew pew. Mm-hmm. If they do that better than this and it's to such a degree then fine, good for you. But I mean, for me, not someone who has played a lot of shooters or plays a lot of shooters nor intends to. Mm -hmm. It's a good time. Like this is like, I'm not offended. I'm not like, oh, this game's so, so broken. I can't do it. Like, no, (laughs) it's, I think for someone who has never played a shooter, someone who has a little bit of experience with some shooters can come to this and feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And Someone who plays a lot of shooters, I think you can also come to this and feel comfortable because it's not doing anything crazy that you've never seen. Right. There is one thing that this game has that, you know, I also don't play a ton of shooters. I don't know if a lot of games have this, but oftentimes after you shoot an enemy and drop them, they're not dead. They will be writhing in pain on the ground and you can either go up and curb stomp them for some extra ammo or, you know, other brutal finishing moves right rah rah or uh, you can shoot them uh, as a mercy killing you don't get any ammo if you do that though which again i feel like everything that they put in this game to kind of differentiate it from your standard third person shooter this feeds back into the story too they want you to be aggressive they want you to be brutal uh, in the gameplay 
and it only gets worse as you go. <laughs> it encourages you for your brutality. Yeah. And yeah, that definitely ties into the game. That definitely ties into the story. Mm -hmm. Definitely ties into the story. And again, this is everything here is very deliberate. This game was designed in such a way, even with the gameplay, there's no way around the fact that like the, the way they probably did a storyboard for this game and how everything's going to link together was probably so intricate. I would love to have been on the development team or just been a fly in the wall mm -hmm. of the development team during this game and just get through their thought process and how they wanted to tie everything together. Oh, this is one of the games where I finally learned to love the shotgun, by the way. Oh, you're not a shotgun guy in games. I had not been okay. until this game. Okay, this. Okay, now you are. Perhaps. Yes. Okay. And that's because if... I think this game does shotguns right. If we're moving, let's, I mean, let's move to the guns. Sure. And the gunplay itself, the shotgun is like OP in this game, dude. Very it's good. It's totally OP. Now, I would tell you that the shotgun is the best gun in most shooters, uh, other than, oh. you know, your carbines are usually pretty good, right? But um, uh -huh. I'm also a shotgun guy in shooters, like, unless it's a very clear, like, no, you need a sniper rifle for this section. I want a shotgun in a game. <laughs> yeah, sniper rifles are boring. I think shotguns are fun because, you know, you just walk up to bad guy, boom, dead. You yeah. know, don't need to aim. Not really. No, no. <laughs> Some of the gunplay itself, like the, the, the fully automatic weapons are fine. I like how mm -hmm. you can swap out your weapons relative ease. You just can't yep. have all your guns on you at once, much like mm -hmm. Halo. Yeah, it's a two. It's a two gun game. You have to swap out between two and you will yeah. be because you'll run out of ammo often. And you'll find a new gun on the guy you just killed. So pick up his gun and continue. Yes. And normally I would just stick with the gun that was the most prevalent within the area. So if like a fully automatic weapon was what everyone was carrying, like a machine gun, I would carry a machine gun with me and maybe like an RPG or something like that. Mm -hmm. I just know that I got rid of pistols almost immediately. And there's yeah. a part there's a part in this game where you need to fight off a bunch of bad guys and you only have a pistol. And when I got to that part, I swore to God, I was so pissed because <laughs> I, I was like, I just want my weapons back. Where's uh -huh. all my stuff? Yeah, I was playing on easy mode, so it was fine for me. But oh. I can imagine on a normal or higher difficulty, it could be tough. Got to go looking for headshots then. Well, I remember doing like two or three. I, I died two or three times at that spot. And then like I found a shotgun like across the the map or maybe it was another weapon or something like that. It's like, Oh, I just could have walked over here and grabbed a different weapon the entire time instead of just struggling to <laughs> fight off all these guys with a fricking pistol. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not great at these cover games, so I generally just hunker down in one place. And like, so like the intended rhythm of it is to like, you know, you'll kill a few dudes from the first cover, then you'll move up, kill a few more, move to the next one. But I just stay at the back the whole time and never move up until everyone's dead. Well, this this scene in particular, and you probably know what I'm talking about once I vaguely describe it as <laughs> vaguely as possible. So you don't have your team members and it's only you. Yeah. And you're in an area that you're easily you can easily be flanked. Right. Yep. So you have to use your pistol to fight people off. Yeah. I remember that gave me trouble my first playthrough for sure. Yeah. And so, yeah, that that's where I, I got a little frustrated. Of course, I made it through because... I don't think anything in this game is really too difficult to overcome at any given point. No, there's some tough 
sections. Like I definitely died while playing the game. There's some sections that I thought were pretty tough, but again, I'm terrible at these games and I was playing on easy mode. I still died a few times, but it would shock me if this was a game where the developers were like, you know, we want this to be real hard. You know, I don't think they want you to replay a section four or five, six times before you get to the next story beat, you know? I, mm. and so again, being vague, actually, I don't have to be too vague on this one because yeah. I, I think it's easy to be vague <laughs> on this example. It's a, it's a part at the end of the game where you're up against an enemy. So there are these enemies that are like heavily armored that have machine guns and can do a lot of damage to you. I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what they're called, but they're essentially, they're, they're just, they are bullet sponges and they can do a ton of damage to you. Yeah. And it's at a scene at the end of the game. And the reason I think that it's deliberately hard at that part, because I died probably about 20 or 30 times to this. Okay. To this enemy is at the very, very end. Right. And yeah. I will say this because I want people to realize there is a benefit to dying here because you need to experience the loading screens. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, uh, this is a game where you should read the loading screens. Um, it is not a game to check your phone uh, every time, you know, get on Twitter and scroll for a few seconds every time a loading screen pops up. The loading screens are good. Um, and yeah, pay attention to them. That's all I'll say, too. Good stuff. Yes, especially towards <laughs> the end of the game. Yes. You and I, we, 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 both, we both know exactly what we want to talk about, but we're going to have to wait. Yes. So let's get into some final thoughts so we can stop beating around the bush and actually talk about what's going on in the game. So kind of I like to end kind of the non-spoiler part by just, you know, people listening who haven't played this game, what do you want them to know, even if we've said it already a hundred times? And kind of who would you recommend this game to? So would I recommend this game? I mean, absolutely, I would recommend this game. And who would I recommend to? I would recommend it. To pretty much so, so pretty much as a JRPG fan, I'd recommend it to anyone who does like JRPGs, just RPGs, because I do think there's a lot of that story element in there. Especially if you're someone who is one of those cross players who, yeah, they play JRPGs, but every once in a while they like to follow up the, they like to fire up the most recent Call of Duty. I actually think that this should be mandatory for every Call of Duty fan or Battlefield fan or whatever. I would mm-hmm. highly recommend it. To you and stick with the game. Stick with it. Don't drop it because there are parts you're probably going to want to drop it because if you're calling, if you're coming from Call of Duty or Battlefield, yeah, the gunplay is probably not going to be as good as it is there. But I do think it's one of the most important shooters you could possibly play. And even if you don't like the messaging there, at least it's a game I think that that can make you think about what the game's actually trying to tell you. Because I already, as you already heard, this is a game that even me and and Dave had different perceptions on that we're going to get to at the spoiler wall. So 
get into this, play it, play it for the story. And yeah, I, I've heard this before from other analysis videos on YouTube or other reviewers that this is mandatory playing for anyone. And I would, I would agree with that, but particularly for those people I just mentioned, people who love stories, people who love shooters or people who are engrossed in first person shooters, especially military ones. This is the game that you at least need to give your attention to for that five to six hours. Totally agree. And I talk about on the show a lot. And whenever people ask me, like, why do you play video games all the time? Why don't you watch movies? For example, it's because when a video game gets the mix of interaction and story correctly, there's nothing that can match it for me personally. And I think that this game is like a masterclass in all of that. Uh, Things that, you know, there are sections in this game, story sections that because it's a video game and not a movie or a TV show, there are things they can do that just, you know, they work for me so much better than those other media. And I think that, again, I think this game's excellent and I would recommend it to basically like if you're not going to like throw up blood by playing a third person shooter, play this. Like it's, it's pretty much that simple. And I'm totally with you. Like if you're the type of person who plays a lot of military shooters and you enjoy that, this one's different. It's got something for you. We promise both of us promise. So almost like basically the highest recommendation I can give to a game is to say that like this game is doing something differently and it's doing it in a way that only a video game can do, go play it. Spec Ops The Line. So a little housekeeping before we go into spoiler time. Before I talk about myself, Chris, one more time, tell people uh, where they can find Retro Hangover other than down in the show notes. So you can find Retro Hangover on pretty much all the podcast streamers of your choice. And you can find us on all the socials and all that stuff like that. And we've condensed it into one nice, neat little package. So if you go to linktr.ee slash retro hangover, you can find where you can get onto our Discord, which is open to the public, all of our social media accounts, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. And yeah, uh, we'd love to hear from you. And we're also on Twitch on Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern time at twitch.tv slash retro hangover. So if you like the gibberish that I'm saying here, then absolutely come by and check us out. Yeah. And uh, we'd love to have you. The uh, Retro Hangover Discord is a place that I uh, joined recently, but I'm having a good time uh, with the group there. There's a very good group of people in there talking about games and uh, other stuff too, of course, how these Discord servers go. For Tales from the Backlog, I also have a Discord server. You'll find a link down in the show notes. Uh, We also have a good group of people talking about games, life, other stuff. Uh, We would love to have you there too. And uh, if you would like to support the show, same things as always, hit subscribe if you haven't already. If you've enjoyed the episode or any other episode of the show, consider leaving a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, and anywhere else that accepts ratings and or reviews. I also have another show called a top three podcast where each episode, some friends and I do top three lists. Sometimes we talk about games, sometimes not though. So if you want to hear me talk about literally anything else, that's the place. Chris and I are going to take a break. When we come back, it is spoiler time for spec ops, the line.
Okay, Chris and I are back talking spoilers for Spec Ops The Line, and you cross the spoiler wall. Here it comes, everybody. Thank fuck. Let's get this out of the way at the beginning. You and I talked about this um, a while ago when we were talking about this episode, and this game has uh, a very deliberate thing that it does with the um, transitions between scenes, between chapters. Uh, So I actually looked this up. This is confirmed by the developer that when something finishes, a scene finishes and it fades to black, that that's real, that that happened. And when it fades to white, that means Walker is hallucinating. So the reason I bring this up right at the beginning is two key things. So it fades to white after the helicopter crash. And something I didn't notice until I was doing some research this afternoon, it fades to white like when you first start the game. Yes. So this brings up all kinds of theories about what's real and what's not uh, in this game, which I think um, we can talk about as we go. And then like at the end, kind of bring together like what's, real and what's not like as a you know cohesive thing but i want to kind of go through some of my favorite plot beats and uh, feel free to uh, jump in if i'm missing something uh, because there is a lot of really interesting plot stuff going on uh, in Mm -hmm. the game when you were playing it for the first time did you pick up on this transition thing or did you know about this when you were playing it for the first time if i did i completely forgot Mm-hmm. I because I, I didn't pick up on it at all. I didn't pick up there's a difference between white and black because I I didn't know that that was really what was happening. Right. Right. So I didn't like I'm just progressing through this game as I'm just playing a regular game. And I'm I know there's some there's there's some shit in here that is a little bit forthright. Like there's 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 some messaging here. I know that that the game is supposed to be this deconstruction of the military shooter and it's supposed to make everyone feel a certain way about what you're doing. I just didn't know to what extent. So I really played it straight for almost the entirety of the game. I mean, the end didn't really throw me for a loop because I know it was trying to throw me for a loop by that point. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like the white to black stuff, I didn't have a single thought either way. Yeah, Same. So my first time I did not know. Then my second time playing it, I did know, but I stopped paying attention. I, I missed several things in the middle. So like, I know that there are lots of things where it like very clearly fades to white, like at the end and at the beginning. But like, could I tell you if it fades to white between chapter seven and eight? No, I couldn't tell you. I didn't, wasn't paying attention that deeply. And that opens up some questions about like what's actually real and what's not. But I, I want to talk about what happens first before we get, you know, too deep into that. So I guess I'll just ask you, like, at what point when you're playing, did you realize that something was off? Like, things are weird. From what I remember, I think it was more like the turret scenes. Because this is supposed to be something that's really supposed to be realistic. I can't remember what came first with the turret scenes. And there's another scene I'm going to bring up a little bit later. Yeah. But like, because the turret scenes were so long and usually in games, turret scenes exist, but they're, they're relatively well paced. And here the, the turret scenes like lasted a little bit longer 
than I felt they should, especially mm-hmm. because I think that this game puts such an emphasis on realism for the most part up until you got to the turret scenes. And then the turret scenes, it was almost like gun porn where you just, do you like mowing down enemies? You're going to continue to mow down enemies. You're going to mow them down and mow them down and mow them yeah. down and mow them down. And it's like, I'm tired of mowing them down. And it's like, oh, maybe there's something to this. The okay. other one was like, I started to think like, this is a little fucked up. It's when you find out that the, 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 the regimen that you think betrayed like the United States. Is holding refugees and you, you are going after them because you think they're going to drag them down and exterminate them all and kill them all Mm -hmm. because they're just trying to get rid of evidence or something like that. And at at that point, like not all the pieces were really being put together for me. It's like there's, there's something really off about the way they're telling the story and, and that not everything really makes sense here. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like what the first thing was. That made me think like that something is off, but like that scene you're talking about where you follow the, you think they're rogue American soldiers at this point, like that, that might've been one of the first things where I was like, wait, what, what's going on? Normally in these games, you're not killing American soldiers. Right. So Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, that's different. And this is after uh, the firefight where hush is playing and the radio guy is starting to taunt you. And I'm like, that's weird. Why would... Why yeah, would weird. they be providing me with a soundtrack to my firefight, like in the game's story, not the game putting on some music while I kill a bunch of people? So that's odd. A little too enthusiastic that you're <laughs> killing the people that they're working with. But, you know, I could think right. of like a little bit of that being a Tokyo Rose example where you know, they're trying to get into your head and, and just trying to be chipper and, you know, that yeah. psychological warfare aspect. So I, mm-hmm. I wasn't too dismissed by that like it didn't really bother me and i think a lot of that was just because there's a lot of i would say stereotypical kind of protest movie tropes in here that like as stereotypical as it is for like it's generic military shooter stuff like the dude bros grizzled white guy with a gun killing people mm-hmm. like that's that was pretty much standard boilerplate shit back then and you had a lot of these typical, oh, I'm picking up this doll and it's telling me a terrible story about what happened with the war here. So it's like, mm-hmm. okay, so is this going to be just this typical anti-war game? Which, fine, uh, even though it's presenting itself and, and kind of being a Trojan horse for this typical anti-war game. And that, I mean, yeah, you could say that's kind of a set off, but to me, that was more of an annoyance because I, I immediately thought I'm just in for another kind of really big anti-war game that's being anti-war to be anti-war. Now, myself, I'm anti-war. I don't mind an anti-war message, but I think when you do it a ham-fisted way, mm-hmm. that it kind of, like, it goes, am, am I just playing a recreation of fucking Platoon or something? I, mm-hmm. I I can, I have Platoon. I can go watch Platoon. I don't <laughs> need this. Yeah. But it, you figure out later that there's much more to it, and that's what I appreciate about it. Yeah. And for as much as I'm listing examples of things that seemed weird to me as I was going, it wasn't like I thought, oh, Hush is playing. That's weird. Wait, what's going on here? It was just like, huh, interesting. Moving on, though, there's a firefight happening. I got to think about that. And right. it's kind of a gradual buildup until uh, a little bit later when I was like, okay, what the fuck is going on? So you mentioned that scene where you think these soldiers are kind of herding up these civilians to go 
torture or execute them or something. And that's the scene where you you shoot out the glass and sand pours in and smothers everyone, right? Right. That's what I meant when I said that this game is giving you situations where you're trying to be a hero when you don't know what's going on totally. Like okay. in Walker's brain, there is no doubt that that's what he has to do. He That this is exactly what's going on here and he needs to go shoot out that window, fill the place with sand. And then from this point on, it's all to me, rationalizing, uh, you know, compartmentalizing and moving on with the mission. You know, we don't have time to think about what happened back there. We've got something else in front of us now to continue after. So that's what I meant back then. This is the first example. Okay. So when when you say that, and, and that scene within in and of itself too is surreal because you're supposed to be in this tall building and sand's just pouring in. Mm-hmm. And I, like, if you, if you watch analysis videos, there's this constant theme of descent. Yeah. Like going moving, down, going down. Mm-hmm. And it, like when you look at where the city is and and how you enter a lot of these buildings, sand really shouldn't be getting into that building. Yeah, especially You're going like in at the top, and there's yeah. sand up there still. You know, it's it's very strange. It's it's a very unnatural set piece that maybe shouldn't be there, and it just feels mm-hmm. inorganic all around. Yeah, but when it when it comes to the the hero thing, I'm glad you brought that up. I I view it more in the same vein as as Bioshock. That you're doing these things because the game is telling you you have to do them and you will mm-hmm. do it without question. It's not so much that it's not so much like the dangers of you being the hero, but you're just mindlessly killing enemies because that is what a military shooter tells you to do because it's part of an objective list. It's part of a checklist that you mm-hmm. have to do in order to advance your story. So it's not so much like the dangers of being the hero per se. And that's why I say like I was saying it's adjacent to that point Uh but it's more that the game demands you to be the hero or what the game considers to be the quote hero right when you yourself might start to be suspicious of your own actions yeah what i what i meant was like the dangers of trying to be the hero and doing what you think would be the heroic thing to do not necessarily like the dangers of being you know the dangers of being Batman and the people you hurt through the process of being Batman. It's, it's more okay. like Walker wants to be a hero. So he's doing all these things. Uh, that's, that's, that's what I mean. But I, I get, uh, I get what you said too, for sure. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, not many games, especially not many, you know, games with this theming are going to even provoke this in the first place. Uh, and if they do, they're just going to have someone yell at you, you know, through dialogue or something. Right. Right. Are you doing this? Get back on track. Mm-hmm. And this game does kind of do that. Well, it starts to later. Uh, mm-hmm. And if it, I'm sure there are things earlier in the game, but there are like later in the game, other characters will start commenting uh, about this a little bit later. The reason I kind of latched onto this hero thing is there's a quote from Conrad later where he's basically saying like, all you ever wanted was to be a hero you failed. So let me look up that quote. I actually wrote it down. Let me not try to make it up. Uh, Walker, you're here because you wanted to be something you're not a hero. Uh, so I kind of, you know, took that in and his actions back it up, uh, I think. Yeah. And I think that's where it also steps in is the the deconstruction of the, the military shooter of your Call mm-hmm. of Duty games like Modern Warfare, stuff like that was ever popular back then. 
is right. you're always put in the position of the American forces always killing the Nazis. You always are. You always are the hero. You you are mm-hmm. the American fighting off the terrorists or whatever. And there's there's no real question about your own motives. It's always pure. Right. So you're you are always doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why people played those games for the most part, as you as you pointed out earlier, a propaganda mechanism, a propaganda vehicle for a lot of these games, like war porn, mm-hmm. for yeah. for lack of a better term. But yeah. so when people go into the a lot of these games, and this is why I think it's so important for someone who's a big fan of military shooters to play it, is because by the end of the game, yeah, you're you go in to be the hero, but it's it's that deconstruction that shows you that there are consequences to the genre that you're playing in. Like in real wars, there's real people who suffer real damages and it goes well beyond just putting a bullet in someone's head. There's someone behind that trigger. Uh, there's, there's someone, you know, there, there's, there's all sorts of damages you can do to people that it's not just glory and guts. It's sometimes there are innocents that are lost or, or misplaced, uh, intentions or misplaced perspectives or they're not all perspectives were taken into account because you are fighting other human beings that have their own desires and wishes and lives. So I think this game doesn't implicitly say that, but it heavily suggests it to the yeah. point where, Hey, this is, this is who you are. This is, this yeah. is war. <laughs> it, so it doesn't straight up tell you that, but if you make it to the end of this game without realizing that, then you, you were not paying attention at all no like you were taking a nap during the cutscenes. um yes. so yeah speaking of cutscenes, um the next one i wrote down on here this is one of the more famous scenes from the game i think uh the white phosphorus scene which is interesting from a gameplay perspective like going back and replaying it a second time um i thought and this is what i was talking about with the choices too Sometimes the game makes you feel like there's a choice when there's not. Sometimes it made mm-hmm. me feel like there was no choice when there actually was. The white phosphorus scene, you don't have a choice. Uh, if you try, because you're you're presented, if you're listening and haven't played, you're presented with a million enemy soldiers and you can shoot them the way you've been doing, but they will infinitely replenish. Like I tried for a while and they'll just infinitely replenish. So you have to use the white phosphorus uh, to, uh, take them out. And this is not a unique, uh, take by me here, but you get in the, the call of duty, uh, modern warfare, modern warfare two. I don't remember which one it was. Um, but the, you know, the black and white overhead shooting mortars camera. Um, and I remember playing that scene in that call of duty game. I remember the room I was sitting in playing it. And, Back then, I was like, this is fucking awesome. Like, look at this. This is cool. This is what games are. This is back in 2007 or something like that. Yeah. And then it's back in this game, too. But you go through it. It's very, um, well, you go through it. You shoot the white phosphorus. You're killing all the soldiers. And then you get this cutscene where you realize that all those civilians you thought were being herded up to be executed, they were in a camp. Uh, being rescued, basically, and you burned them all uh, alive in the most horrific way possible. And the we didn't talk so much about visuals uh, in the non-spoiler part, but the visual mm. of this cutscene is is crazy. Like as soon as it happened, I was like, "Oh fuck!" Like 
this is the moment where I was like, oh, I'm the villain in this game. Okay, I, I, I see it loud and clear now. I think this is the biggest example of a scene that if you have not had this game spoiled for you, this will definitely be ruined. This Because yeah. every single bit of importance that came with this scene, I already knew about going into it. Even with people that uh, I talked to after I played the game, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, what did you think of the white phosphorus scene? I was like, you know, I... I already knew about it before going into it. So it didn't mm-hmm. hit the same. Like I knew I was going to be in for a scene that was going to be emotional and, and draw that those feelings out of me. And because of that, that was ruined. So if you want to talk about something that you don't want to know prior to going into, it's this scene. It's, it's mm-hmm. the white phosphorus scene because I could see not knowing that. And yeah, you are doing again, your war porn where you're just, like the drone strikes in the Call of Duty games. You're just like, yeah, kill all of them. Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, get yep. in my way. And then it's like, oh, I I just killed, like, families and innocent yeah. civilians and children. And this was all in an attempt to do a really cool scene with cool infrared stuff. That being said, on a, on a second look, now that I step back and I really think about it, it's a little ham-fisted in its delivery and insertion because you don't i think it probably could have been more impactful if they had a scene earlier with a white mm-hmm. phosphorus drop or a missile drop or a drone strike or something like that that there was resulted in it's very quickly it introduces okay. white phosphorus to you it's wait 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 quick yes you're you're right you're right but i'm talking about from the perspective of the player in terms of oh, how okay. you deliver it gotcha yeah so like if you had allowed yourself as walker to command a drone strike, not so much a white phosphorus strike, but like a drone strike or a missile strike on an enemy encampment in the same visage. And it, it resulted in your expectations that you just killed a bunch of people who were trying to kill you. Uh-huh. I think that scene, if it had followed it, would have been a lot more impactful because now you're thinking that everything you are doing is legitimized to protect yourself and I think that would have been more soul crushing. Now, I could be wrong. I'm not writing plots for video games or developing games. And there's probably a reason for that. Um, <laughs> but I, I look at it now and it's kind of like, okay, you never do anything like this at all for the remainder of the game. So I really feel like this section is really forcefully put in there for the explicit purpose of getting an emotional reaction out of you, which for people who have who have not had it spoiled for, I've heard that does exist and it's very successful. But for mm-hmm. if it is spoiled for you, it kind of loses a lot of its luster. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, I did not have this particular scene spoiled for me, so I did get that immediate like stomach drop. At this point in the game, you should be starting to have doubts about like, hey, is everything I'm doing right? You know. And now this, this does kind of feel like, you know, this scene is for the people in the back who didn't get it. Do you get it now? Like you're, Mm -hmm. you're really the bad guy in this story. I still think it's really good because of the, um, the use of that mortar cam, basically that, you know, that, that black and white camera, which I think this scene hits the best if you did play that exact Call of Duty game like I did, because that camera is so impersonal. You're killing ants on that camera. They don't right. even really look like people. 
Well, that's yeah, because that, because that's what it's trying to tell you is that everything that you're killing in your perspective is not a person, right? You don't consider them as people, and that's what mm-hmm. it's trying to that's what it's trying to convey. And I, I would actually say, like, what was more, even with that spoiled for me, it was it was still impactful going through that that plane where you see all these people that that aren't dead yet right. that are just suffering and you did that yeah and they like you, there's nothing you can do to undo that and i think that hit me harder than seeing all the people who are already dead yeah that's games don't often you know make you see the consequences of your actions like that especially not in such a a brutal way as somebody right. burning alive and screaming like that. And I walked around that field and mercy killed all of them uh, as I went through. Cause I'm, I'm me when I'm playing a video game. I, I always play the, I'm, I'm pro mercy killing in games. We talked about Soma too. I'm pro mercy killing in that game too. Um, so I walked through and did that. And that tent full of the burned bodies and there's like the mother hugging her dead child and stuff like that. That was, uh, it got a real emotional rise out of me when I played that. Certainly. Yeah. I, I've, I almost found the conversation between your teammates to be the most important part of that scene mm-hmm. because you, you see the two combating ideologies between the actions that you just did. One's mm-hmm. like the prevailing justification of, this wasn't that bad. And the other one's like, yes, it was that bad. So you have like the angel and demon on, on yeah. his shoulders. His inner monologue is happening in real time behind him. And if you even realize in the game, if you have closed captioning on, I don't know if you have the option to or not. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But they will fade out to the point where you can't hear them. But the game still wants you to know what they're saying. Uh huh. And that's important because this is. This is Walker's wrestling within his own inner monologue. This is your wrestling with your own inner monologue. That what I what it was what I did was it justified? Because I thought I was going to die if I didn't do this. If I if I didn't do this, then I would have died. And you know what? Fuck him for being in the way. And the other mm-hmm. side is like, yeah, but we didn't have to do this at all. This was yeah. just this was way this was just way too far to begin with. And yeah. it, this is just them. It's, it's him wrestling. It seems like it's a. Symbolism for him wrestling with his own conscience and it's displayed. It's, it's a little too much on display, but I think it's perfect. I said earlier that I thought this game deals heavily in like, you know, you make a horrible fucking decision and then you, you do all the mental gymnastics necessary to rationalize what you did. And Walker Mm -hmm. does that after this, he's, he's the one who's saying we had no choice. We had to do that. And it's probably Adams, but I can't remember which one who's like, man, there's always a choice. You, We did not have to do that. Now, in the game, there is no choice. Had they given you the choice, had on a replay you been able to kill them the normal way, and then, I don't know, whatever, the civilians got scared and ran away, and they and that's how this scene played out. That would have, that, like, you know, you always have a choice line would have hit harder, I think, but as it is, I still think it's more than good enough to... uh accomplish what it's trying to do i agree i agree um because yeah you're right you do not have a choice in that in that scene and i actually this is this is where i'm kind of going to take that and flip it on his head i think when they say you always have a choice and knowing that you don't makes you angrier at the situation especially on that replay yeah and you're you're supposed to start getting angry mm-hmm. yeah i can get behind that yeah you always have a choice like well i don't I don't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. I had to do this. 
And maybe Walker, the first time you're playing it, it sounds like Walker is saying it because, because there's, there's some very subtle fourth wall breaking in this game. This game is definitely all about the fourth wall breaking, but it's not like you're coming with a sledgehammer. You're just knocking it down Mm -hmm. because the first time you play that, I think you make a good point where it's like, uh, we didn't have a choice, but I think the player at that point is thinking he's meaning it in terms of for his own survival. Mm -hmm. But you step back and look at it from a fourth wall breaking perspective. It's I didn't have the, I, we didn't have a choice because the game didn't allow me to have a choice. Mm-hmm. And then the game telling you, well, you always have a choice. It's almost mocking you. Yeah, I can see it that way too. Yeah. And part of that um, choice from a story perspective is that their mission at the very beginning of the game was to find survivors and report back, not to mm-hmm. pursue and go further. They went way beyond the scope of their mission within the first five minutes of the game. So I, I think the Adams and Lugo bring this up throughout the game. They're like, hey, man, we should have turned back a long time ago. Like, maybe that's part of the choice they're talking about. Don't don't they kind of reference that in the in the fact that there's a big sand wall or a big sandstorm wall and they can't get people in and out of there and it's extremely problematic in that sense? Yeah, when they um, When they heard the distress call, I think is like the moment when they're like, okay, we have survivors. Let's, let's, you know, mission accomplished. Let's report back and leave. Um, I think it's about the distress call. Not, I mean, obviously at this point, you're way, you can't leave the city now. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whew. Speaking of choice, uh, this (laughs) is one of the most famous scenes coming up um, where you do have a choice but I actually don't like this scene that much because your choice does not matter in the slightest. No. So this scene, you, um, you're being mocked by the radio man. Um, you come up and there's these two guys hanging from a bridge. There is a guy who stole water who, you know, in a desert catastrophe, that's bad. And there's, I think it's a soldier who went too far with punishment, killed his family or something like that. And you have the choice. You're supposed to choose which one do you shoot and kill. Um, so you are the you know judge, jury, and executioner here. And it's if you're still following this as like the radio man is mocking you, et cetera, et cetera, then you know this is just some you know saw type situation that Walker's put into. Do you remember what you did in this scene? I f- I uh, shot the guy who killed the family. Okay. I think I did too, but I distinctly remember thinking, what if I don't shoot either of them? And what if I shoot the people who have guns pointed at me, but they killed me really fast. So then I thought, okay, you can't do that. You have to pick one. And in reality, you don't, you can just shoot the, shoot the soldiers. And also, uh, when you go back to find the bodies, they're not there. This was, none of this was real. Well, there were bodies there. Were there bodies there? Like they were just dead. Okay, right, right, right. They're dead. You're right. Yeah, because when they do dead. the flashback, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. When they do the flashback and he's talking to quote Conrad, uh, your teammates are looking at you like you're fucking crazy because there are two dead bodies hanging from the top of it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So this scene gets a lot of praise as a scene when there is a choice, when you don't realize there's a choice, because um, you know, Lots of people, I think, are going to take the same route you did, which is to shoot one of the two people. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, but your choice especially doesn't matter in this thing, I don't think. 
there's a choice later where you have a choice and what you do matters for a few seconds and then it's gone. Like it doesn't, this isn't a game with branching storylines, but here, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't totally get the praise for this scene other than, you know, whoa, I actually had a choice there, you know? Yeah, I know it's just be- I know it's just speaking of in terms of the praise for the scene, and I'm I'm trying to understand it as well because I tend to agree that there is some some praise to the scene because again, this is you're in a war zone, mm-hmm. and it's making you think about which which person did the graver sin because one person killed a family, and I think that's the immediate way to do it is you know this person killed this entire family. So obviously, you know, that's, that's a horrendous action. Even if he did it in a time of, you know, crime of passion, even if he did it for whatever reason they did it, you killed a family is bad, but this other person stole water. And I think for a lot of people with, with empathy for, for people that are, you know, not as well off as others, you hear about, you know, thievery for, for lower items. And you're like, well, they're just stealing bread to feed their family. So they're just mm-hmm. stealing water to feed their family. But in this case, you realize if you steal water and it's trying to be rationed so everyone can survive, mm-hmm. they're essentially, they're effectively killing people by stealing that water. Right. So, I mean, I, I still went with the family route because you're effect, you're actually ending lives in a situation where a rescue is possible as opposed to just trying to survive for a temporary state of it. But you, it really puts things in perspective when you don't have resources and everything is limited and everyone is trying to survive. Thievery like this is is an understandable and condemnable crime that you could understand why someone would want to punish that person for death for in a situation like this. So yeah. I think that's maybe where the praise comes from because it does impose a dilemma that normally to most people is not a dilemma. It's pretty simple, like a person who stole bread and a person who killed a family without realizing, hey, that was the only piece of bread to feed 10 people. And he stole it for his family of four. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's why it's a good scene because you also don't realize that there is no real effect on your choice. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that's where it kind of comes from because it, 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 you don't get a lot of those. It's not often you get a dilemma, a thinking dilemma, a dilemma like that in games very often. So that's probably where it stems from. I don't give that high of praise to it. I think it's just a very well executed scene. Um, but, uh, I, I, I still think it's a good one. It's, I think the, the praise that I've seen for it stems more from the fact that you don't have to kill either of them, that you can shoot the soldiers and that, right. You know, your gamer psychology is telling you, you know, shoot one of these two people and you don't, you want to be the person who decides who lives and who dies. Go ahead and do that. This is your chance and you don't have to, but the fact that like, like we said, they're both dead. They're both been long dead and Walker is hallucinating this whole thing. Kind of takes some of the impact away from that choice because, you know, I'm making choices within a hallucination and it's not as interesting as a choice later in the game. Like what, no. you know, what good is it really? I think uh, to me personally, like if you had your mind blown by this scene, that's that's cool. Like I, I hope you have that happen to you several times in any game you play. That's, that's what I want uh, when I play games. So I don't know. It's just something that like, just doesn't 
land as well for me as, you know, a lot of the critiques of this game that I watch and hear. I also think looking at it too, no matter what you do, you're still killing somebody. Mm-hmm. So if if you decide not to kill either of them, and of course we already know on a replay it's it's it lands with a thud because you know neither of them are going to die. So think about it. You you have a soldier and you have a civilian uh who broke both broke laws in yeah. their situations and they both portrayed the people that are threatening to kill you know they're, they're going to kill both of them if you don't kill one of them and it's like well these these people are betrayed their own code but you're going to protect them these lawbreakers by killing more people mm-hmm. so at the end of the day how are you so different than yeah. than these criminals because I mean, because you're still, someone's still going to die. Yeah. Whether or not you kill them or you kill the soldiers, you're still performing. You have to perform an act of killing something. Mm -hmm. And what's to say that the soldiers that you're killing did anything wrong at all? I I think that's one thing that I think is missed in this analysis because Mm -hmm. you're still, you still have to kill people who essentially are doing the same thing as the person who killed the families. But they 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 just did get in trouble with their organization, no matter how horrible you think of the things they did. And when you figure it out, they they probably are just regular people trying to help out civilians, as you saw in the white phosphorus scene. But there's there's so many layers to this. You can go a million different directions. Yeah, well, it's what makes this game so interesting to talk about. Um, with yeah. that scene too, I believe I tried to shoot the ropes, and that does not work. Uh, you have yeah, that kind of blows. Yeah, uh, but. With all of these scenes and with the knowledge that, or with the idea, um, if you're going through it with this idea that none of this is actually happening the way it looks like it's happening, maybe it's better that you don't shoot the rope and someone falls and hops away or something like that. I don't know. I I wish that would have been an option too, because I think I tried doing the same thing. Like, can I just like do the Robin Hood shit? Uh huh. (laughs) But what they should have done is if you shot the rope, they fell and they broke their neck or something. So you still killed them. Yeah. They, they land on a, you know, a parked car at the bottom and break their neck million dollar baby style or something like that. And then you're like, like oops, I, you know, tried to do the right thing. Whew. Next one, next scene that I wrote down, not doing the right thing. So this is the part where this is the part where you meet up with agent Riggs from the CIA. There's a plot in the game where the CIA is trying to cover up their operations in Dubai. And I don't know how you feel about this. I, this plot goes in one ear and out the other. I, I cannot really like latch on to the fine details of this one. You know, what about you? No, I, I, I actually really like this plot thread. Okay. This, I, I, I did enjoy it because essentially what they're trying to do is they're, they are trying to convince you that they are the good guys, that they are mm-hmm. trying to save everybody. So essentially they're acting as a double agent for you. It's like, oh, we're going to get this water because they play you. They, they play you to get your help and your team to help them out to, to accomplish their goals. Mm-hmm. But then what you find out is, nah, nah, fuck it. We're going to kill everybody. Yeah. So that's why they, they try to destroy the water supply. And, and they, they're doing it under the guise to get your help that they are trying to get it to more people so they can help them out or help out their team. I can't remember the specifics, but like it starts with noble reasons. And then you find out they're actually doing it for selfish reasons to just destroy everything. Yeah. So like in, in that aspect, I did get that plot line that you were played 
And once again, this goes to the theme of everything you do, you do for a checklist because the game tells you to. And mm-hmm. whenever the game tells you to in a military shooter means you're doing the right thing. Uh-huh. And so and- that's 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 where this plot ends up. And that's why I liked it. It's because it ended up that, once again, you thought you were doing the right thing because the game told you you were, and you ended up probably killing more people than you helped. And the game is pretty overt about that. The game definitely oh, yeah. makes it very clear that that's what you did. Yeah. So that's why, I, that's why I dug it, personally. Yeah, I like this scene with the water a lot, but it's for a different reason. It's more for a character reason for Walker, because Walker... Even when it's very clear that you are going to destroy this water, you're, you are killing the people that are trying to stop you. So Walker is, he's on board with this. I mean, maybe if you stopped him and asked him like, Hey man, do you want to destroy this water? Maybe he would say like, Oh wait, hold on. But he doesn't, he seems so, he has such tunnel vision on whatever the primary goal in front of him is that when it comes time to steal the water and destroy it, he's like, okay, give me a grenade launcher. Let me help. And I really like it from that perspective. But again, that goes back to the deconstruction of the, the military shooter theme. Yeah. Uh, because the reason you're doing it is because the reason you're killing the people who could stop you from destroying the water is because the game is telling you to do that. I, I don't know. I like to get into like walkers because Walker is so far gone at this point that yeah. I like it from that perspective too. But you're right, because like when you're playing this section and you're shooting the people with the grenades as you're hanging off the side of the trucks, I wasn't really thinking like, you know, hey, I should let them stop us. This is wrong. I, as a gamer, am shooting grenades at the people who are trying to save the city, basically. So I get that for sure. Mm-hmm. It, it, I don't think it's coincidence that that's one of the most fun parts of this game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot. I mean, you you finally you're not doing cover shooting anymore. You're hanging off mm-hmm. the side of a truck. You're shooting grenades. Good times. Yeah, all the kills are easy. Mm-hmm. You have a choice uh, after the trucks crash. Uh, you have a really good cutscene of people just desperately trying to salvage any water that they can, but it's like for sure not going to be enough. Um, Riggs gets trapped under a burning truck. You have a choice to shoot him or not. What did you do? I let him burn. Mm-hmm. I shot him the first time. And the second time I let him burn. This is interesting. I'm not. Let me know if you uh, saw this. I definitely did not pick up on this on my own. But depending on what you do, the environment changes afterwards. Yes. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I didn't pick up on that. Very cool. Um, there is like some graffiti that changes depending on what you did. And there are some statues uh, in the building you go in after this that change, uh, depending on what you did. And yeah, it's yeah, just a good, really good scene. Um, this is the point in the game where, if you haven't noticed the physical deterioration of uh, Walker, you will now because he looks like a nightmare. Now his uh, his face is burned. He's you know everyone's covered in soot and dirt and stuff like that. Before before you move on here, I want to point something out because it, it brought up a, a thought to me, which sure. again, this isn't an entirely original thought. This is something I'm I'm kind of borrowing from a video here. Mm-hmm. But it, it stay with me. So when you get to the end of that at the end of that road, there's a yeah. deer mm-hmm. that's there. 
And you have the option to shoot it. And shooting it will give you an achievement. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to shoot the deer. Now, one of the things I thought was interesting is when I didn't shoot the deer first. One, because I, I didn't really think I should. The other thing was I thought it was a very good art piece in terms of, of, of a set or a, like a very good piece of art for a set piece. Because here amid all this chaos is this animal just doing what it does, living its life mm-hmm. in almost a very peaceful manner amongst all this destruction. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really beautiful. But you have the option to kill it and end its life amongst all this chaos where it's just, <laughs> it's peaceably living. Yeah, as if you haven't done enough already. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but the reason you do it is to get an achievement. Yeah. So you look at what are achievements in this game? That's almost another method of driving the player to do something that they inherently may know is wrong. Right. So it's like, hey, you want to you want to kill you got to kill like 100 people with the shotgun. Now you got to kill 100 people with the RPG. Now you got to kill 100 people with your assault rifle. You're mm-hmm. like, okay, game, I'll do this because I got to get those get those trophies or I got to get those sweet achievement points. Yeah, but it's it's another example of that that subtle fourth wall breaking. That's like you're playing this game, you're playing this military shooter because killing is fun. Yeah, and you will do anything you will you will do anything necessary to kill. Uh, as 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 long as the game allows you to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's probably the most prominent and poignant example. Now that I step back and really think about it, that here you have this beautiful animal just doing its thing and it's r- just running away from you like an animal would amongst all this chaos and it's just like living its life. Mm-hmm. I feel like this happens sometimes in um, media where there is chaos. There will be a scene where a very peaceful animal kind of wanders through the chaos and everyone is just struck by watching it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it works like every time it's, it's a really good, uh, thing. And a deer is, is such a weird animal for this number one, cause deer are peaceful, but why is there a deer in Dubai? You know, unless it got out of a zoo yeah. or something like that, but perhaps, you know, you haven't had any contact with a zoo or anything like that. It's similar to the giraffe in the last of us. Cause I have the last of us on my brain. Cause that's the last game I recorded about, but mm-hmm. there's a similar thing in a giraffe where there, there are these in uh, the last of us where there are these giraffes and it's like a very famous uh, scene. Cause you have nothing but chaos throughout that. And it's same in this one here, the achievement thing. I don't tend to like it when games like, I don't like commentary about achievements like in general, but I think this is really interesting here. I didn't know that until I uh, was watching a video earlier today uh, about the achievement because I didn't shoot the deer either and I was streaming on PS Now. I don't even think I can get trophies there. Anyway, the debate over whether achievements are like good or interesting or anything like that is like almost never interesting to me. I think achievements are fine. But this one here is, it's cool. I mean, because why would you shoot that deer unless you're just consumed by this, you know, you're walking through this this burning streets, you just uh, 
either shot a guy in the head to mercy kill him or let someone burn alive. Now you're walking through, you see a deer, just a quick pop, get an achievement like, oh, wait, hold on. Another moment like that. Mm -hmm. It it just, I think it just shows to how well this game is expertly designed. Everything fits together. Yeah, so at this point, Walker is uh, looking like a nightmare, and we talked a little bit about the loading screens in the non-spoiler part, but by this point, you should be starting to see these very meta loading screens. So I looked up a couple of my favorite ones. Uh, There are some that are very simple, just asking, you know, are you a hero yet? And as I'm kind of conditioned to read stuff on loading screens because uh, Souls games have lore information on loading screens. And so it's interesting to read in a lot of games. I do not pay attention to the loading screens, but I'm so glad I did in this game because once they start commenting on what's going on, it, it just adds another layer onto everything that's going on. The loading screens. I didn't notice until like I was saying earlier, the very end of the game when you're fighting against that armored dude and it's just immensely difficult because mm-hmm. I think you only have a pistol that you can fight them with or very limited ammo from anything else that you get because mm-hmm. there's not a lot of other enemies that you can really fight. So I died there a lot. And that's where I encountered a lot of those loading screens that begin to display those messages like how many Americans have you killed today because you're fighting against American troops. And right. it just starts to rub it in your face that, yes, you are the villain. I hope you know you're the villain, by the way, you know. Mm-hmm. And those those layers are such callbacks to everything that I wouldn't say. I mean, you could say you accomplished, quote unquote, but it's it's a reminder that if you haven't been paying attention, if you have no remorse at this point, you're probably pretty fucking crazy. Yeah. But it's it's like as as drawn out as Walker is by this point, you as the player should be hesitating to do anything you actually do. And this game is reminding you that you should be hesitating to do any action that you do. You don't know if anything is right or wrong anymore because you're probably going to be wrong Mm -hmm. (laughs) at this point. And really all you're trying to do at this point is you're trying to get to the end. And I think the game is also making a point of that too. It's like, oh, you're just, you're just trying to get this over with, aren't you? Uh, (laughs) You're just trying to, you're just trying to complete it, you know, be the, be the hero. And it's, yeah, it's, there's, it's a big punctuation point that, that starts to tie the entirety of the experience together before it wraps it up with a nice little bow. Yeah. There's one loading screen in particular that just says you're still a good person, which is after everything that's happened is just like, okay, all right. All right, game. Okay, cool. Um, there's a couple more that I think are really good. There's uh, one I'm going to paraphrase because I didn't write it down, but it says like, you know, um, you know, killing for the wrong reasons is murder. Killing for your government is heroism. Killing for entertainment is meaningless. Yes, yes. 
And there's another one that says the U.S. military doesn't condone attacking unarmed combatants, but this isn't real. So why would you care? I didn't see that one. That's wow. Yeah. Both both reasons. Like, I mean, you playing a video game, video games aren't real life. Why do you care? And also because uh, of the, you know, I am pretty convinced now that this is all a hallucination at best by Walker, like pretty much everything that happens in the game. I think it's more than that. Oh, sorry. I think it's not hallucinating because this thing, these never happened, but they didn't happen the way that you see them in the game. That's what I mean. I think that's, that's a good point, but I, I look at it now that I'm really talking about it. I'm glad this, this just makes me so happy to talk about this game with somebody just to have Mm -hmm. a full breakdown here is that this is a game that it's, it's, I don't even think like, Walker's really the character. I think like you are the character. The game's the talking to you. Yeah. You're the player. You, the player, are the character. Mm-hmm. Because it's talking to you. Walker's just a manifestation of yourself. Yeah. Because when you think way. about it, everything is just at the end when you think about it, the way that those loading screens are talking to you, the way that the game is really trying to point something out is it's telling you that it knows it's a video game. Mm-hmm. And yet you're playing a video game and nothing you're doing is real. And you can turn this off at any time. You have the choice to stop playing. Mm-hmm. You always have a choice, right? Yeah. So you can you can have the option to just not continue to play, but you still will. You're still going to continue to do this. This is why I think like there's, there's that Bioshock vibe to it in a, in a way. I just think it's... Yeah. It's very similarly executed as well. It is. Except this is more around the the, the military shooter as opposed to the survival horror. Yeah. They're they're both commentary on video games as a whole, when you really think about it. Not just a deconstruction of the military shooter, Mm -hmm. but just video games as a whole. You do what you do because the game tells you that this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And even though you're doing horrible and awful things, you're continuing to do it. Because you bought this game and you want to feel good about yourself. Yep. So So like, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say like, as a like basic concept, like I do not enjoy it when video games scold me for playing the game. Right. But in a game like this, and I also feel this way about Bioshock also, that this game does the work to make it fit and make it work. It's not just like, you do these things because the video game tells you. And then at the very end, they're like, you're such a piece of shit, man. Like, why did you do that? This game's not like that. This game puts in all that work throughout the entire game. Um, and there's a scene that I'm, we're going to talk about here soon that really drove this home. Um, that really they, they pull this off in a way that like we, uh, we, use the term ham fisted earlier. It's so easy for a video game to be ham fisted about this. And I don't feel like this game is at all. Mm-hmm. I, I do think this game does ham fisted things, but I think it's message overall is not ham fisted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's fair. I, enough. I, yeah. There, there are times it's like, it's very overtly trying to tell you something, but I think all that overt messaging is, is subverted in a good way to deliver its overall message. Mm hmm. One I think of the, it's necessary. Yeah. One of the times that I think the game is a little bit ham-fisted is uh, after you kill the radio man 
It's a nuts scene. It, it's a good scene. And the, um, you know, the voice acting and the performances in that scene are really good. Um, I enjoy that. I don't remember if this is, I think the hallucination where you like brutally fucking kill somebody uh, that looks like Adams and then it turns out to just be a regular dude hallucination. I think that's climbing the, the radio tower, if I'm remembering that right. Yeah, because you're you're sliding down and then you kick them and then yeah, like you stomp yeah. on their face and yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like again, very clear at this point, Walker has like just fucking lost it. And then you get in the helicopter. Walker says, like you know, they're ready to fly off the other two. And Walker's like, nope, bring it back around. We're gonna fucking kill everybody. And this is one of those times where like I was playing the game. And being like, come on, this is a bit much, isn't it? Did you feel like that or did this work for you? I It worked for me just because I like destructible environments. So that was really was my mindset was. Yeah, you blow the fuck out of that building. Windows shattering and stuff like that. I mean, I, I think my critical analysis by this point was kind of like a little oversaturated. And I just was <laughs> like, everything here is just fucking crazy. I don't I don't care. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just going to destroy shit. Because yeah. destroying shit is fun and it's cool. And after that, because you don't kill the radio man. That wasn't you. Yeah, I think it was, that was uh, Lugo. Lugo. I think. Yeah, yep. Lugo kills him. And I think like at that point, the game almost turns to a point where you could have ended it. Because I think the radio man was starting to get through to Walker. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, like maybe maybe I am fucked. And again, it becomes that angel and demon that they're on your shoulders and talking. Lugo... If you go back to the scene with the phosphorus, he's the one that's more like, yeah, we had to do this for a reason. Like, fuck them. Like, they got in our way. Lugo is definitely the demon on your shoulder. In that scene. And so yeah. who kills who kills the radio man that's, like, trying to talk you out of it? It's Lugo. So if you put it, if you put it in that perspective, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. And I think by that point, you're in a helicopter, and I love helicopter turret scenes anyway. So mm-hmm. maybe that's that's why I wasn't like, <laughs> I, I don't want to do it and didn't really connect with me. It was just like, there's a bunch of old destroyable buildings. And I love destroyable buildings. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to destroy these buildings. And I thought it was yeah. cool. So I didn't really think much beyond that. And maybe I, I'm glad you caught it because I sure as shit didn't. I was just having fun. Yeah. Well, it. I mean, it is fun. Again, like, uh, I feel like a lot of the sections in this game, like you brought up earlier, the ones that are the most fun are the ones where you're doing the most contemptible shit, right? The grenade yeah. launcher, uh, the more the white phosphorus scene that was pretty fun uh, to do that, and then this one too. You get back into that uh, helicopter fight from the beginning of the game, um, which there's a a slight little difference in this where Walker is like, "Hold on, wait a second, we've done this before," like in the middle of this firefight, and everyone's like, "What?" And he was like, "I ah, fuck it, just you know, go as fast as you can," and then. This is where I'm having trouble, like, closing this, like, fade to white theory. It fades to white after this scene, but it faded to white basically the whole game with, you know, a couple times when it didn't. So there's some people that say that this is where Walker dies. He dies in this helicopter crash because Mm -hmm. why would you survive a helicopter crash, right? And then there are other people, kind of myself included, who are like, well, it fades to white at the beginning of the game. Who knows? You know, who knows what the hell's going on? I I tend to agree with more of the who knows what the hell's going on. Because it fades to white at the beginning of the game. 
it doesn't really mean you're dying. It just means you're you're hallucinating. Right. When this is happening in the helicopter. Mm-hmm. So w- what does that really mean? I think a lot of it could could be really a conscious decision for the developer and and the story writer to just fuck with you as the player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, leaving some ambiguity is a storytelling thing, right? Let people sure. come to their own conclusion. They were already willing to fuck with you. Yeah. So why would <laughs> why would like you hear these interviews and it's like, yeah, like white's totally hallucinating and black's totally not. <laughs> That's and true. You're like, oh wow. And now you're like, well, what do they really mean by that? Because it doesn't make sense. They have already messed with your mind and you're like, what are they doing? Mm-hmm. Sometimes just you you I think you I think in this case it, it has to be what it means to you. You can go in knowing that and you can use that as a plot point to kind of deconstruct it yourself, and I think that's fine. I think you almost have to at some point, right? Mm-hmm. But take it take everything with a grain of salt because ultimately I think it goes back to what I said in terms of this is a game that is ultimately presenting itself to you as a video game. Nothing is real. Nothing ever was real. Mm-hmm. The entire game doesn't, the entirety of the game, its plot doesn't exist. It's just a video game. And it, it exists to show you who you are in terms of how you play military shooters and, and what you get out of them or, or just video games in general. Mm-hmm. So if you want to step back and like put that as a whole view of it, then it doesn't matter if Walker's hallucinating or not. It's just a device that in theory is just trying to get you more invested in the, the, the complicated plot. But, and that's like entirely enjoyable. And that's what a lot of these set pieces are for. Cause they're incredible. Like the, the, the depth that you can get into a, for a lot of this game and, and especially for the environments. But when you really look back and see a lot of its messaging, a lot of the game is a hallucination because a lot of the game, a, a game is effectively a hallucination. You're just playing a game. Nothing here is real. I don't tend to look at this game from that lens, like zooming all the way out. Right. I kind of pick and choose my meta things that the game is telling you. Um, but you are correct. I mean, if you do want to zoom all the way out like that, it it's true and it fits in this game more so than basically any other game uh, that I've ever thought about at this depth, you know, so... Um, you can, but I'm glad you can get deep. <laughs> yeah, you can. And I'm glad you mentioned, you know, kind of commenting on you a little bit about your gamer psychology as a player of this type of game, uh, because after the crash, you get to a scene that kind of as I think about this and as this game gets further and further in the rearview mirror from the last time I played it, and especially the first time I played it, the scene that I think I remember the most more so even than the white phosphorus scene is the scene where Lugo dies. And so when I was talking about in the non-spoiler part about sections in the game where you feel like there is no choice, but there is, it was this scene because you come up to a group of civilians who are, they have Lugo strung up. Um, He's uh, he's hanging and they are crowding around you. And I felt like I had no choice. I had to kill these civilians. 100%. No doubt in my mind, open fire on the crowd, right? Mm-hmm. Did you feel that way too? I thought it was because Lugo's hanging, right? I believe he's, I think they shoot him down and I think you're, you have him down on the ground or he's still hanging. Either way, you have to get rid of this crowd quickly. Yeah. 
I think the first thing I did was actually I shot the crowd. Yeah. Yeah, like you you said you did. Like cause, yep. yeah. And yeah. I had I, I remember this vividly. I had no hesitation about it at all. This was the correct thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. And then I watched a video about it afterwards, and they said that you can shoot up in the air and the civilians will scatter. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, that was the one where it was like, okay, this game got me. It tapped into my, you know, gamer psychology because I like to think that, you know, I (laughs) have never and hopefully will never be in a situation like that. I like to think that in real life, I wouldn't open fire on a crowd, you know, but in the game, yeah, there was no hesitation. So when I found out that you can actually shoot up in the air and they'll scatter, I was like, oh, that's motherfucker. They got me. Yeah. And remember, you're you're not doing it because you, you want to kill a bunch of civilians. You're doing it because you are trying to protect one of your teammates. Yeah. And there's panic. It's it's chaos. There's a bunch of people. They're closing in on you. You're, you know, you're heavily, you know, what's the word? You're heavily equipped, but there's a bunch of people. I actually think the first time that I played that, I, I died. Because I didn't shoot them and I didn't shoot up in the air and they kept throwing rocks at me. Oh, okay. Interesting. I didn't know you could die. Because they start throwing rocks at you, you lose health and you die. I think I, I died. I died in that scene. That's, I mean, that's cool too. It's cool that doing nothing is a bad idea too. Yeah. I, I It's, that kind of gets hazy because at that point I was like looking up the achievements like I just said that you shouldn't <laughs> do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Yeah, because there's an achievement for both if you shoot into the air and you shoot the crowd. So I'd actually have to go back to my achievements and see what I did. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. I think I I remember shooting the crowd because they shot me with rocks. So maybe I did shoot up in the air because it's like, I I don't want to die. So I just want them to get the fuck out of here. So maybe I did shoot up in the air. If that's the case, props to you because that thought never entered my mind. And, you know, I don't have any official crowd control training or anything like that maybe it's probably what they teach people to not fire into a crowd if you're you know in the military or police or something like that but you know my gamer brain right 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 no (laughs) i I can understand that i think maybe i did go kind of into my military training Mm -hmm. um again this is i'm not trying to get like all up my own ass so you know just bear with me here yeah but um just like you if they're innocent civilians i was like oh i don't want to shoot them and I don't know, like, in my own mind, I'm like, why would I fire into the air? Like, doesn't make sense. So I was thinking they would just naturally disperse on their own. Like, they'd see that I didn't want to mean them any harm. And the other guy didn't, you know, uh, Adams didn't want to mean them any harm. And this was all a mistake. And I think that's why I died. Because I just assumed, like, oh, they're, they're, they keep pelting me with rocks. At some point, they're going to relent. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not, like, military training. Because obviously, like... Military training is trying to get them away from you. But one of the things you don't do in the military either is like for for like a, a, a like like protest training, for example, like you're not going to fire a shotgun in the air or a rifle in the air to get them away from you. Oh, that's okay. that's that's not going to happen. So that that thought never really crossed my mind. Of course, I'm not going to open fire on them because they're because that's bad civilians. <laughs> yeah, like they're civilians that aren't. They're not firing weapons at you. They're throwing rocks at you, and that sucks, and you're dying, and I died. But, mm-hmm. like, they don't have the same kind of weaponry that, that I have, so why would I start firing on them? Right. So, like, that was my mentality, that it's a, this was another kind of like a set piece 
that at some point they would just relent and they would they would go away and the scene would end itself. Mm-hmm. Now that yeah, yeah, now it's coming back into focus. That's exactly what I did. I don't remember what I did the second time. I think I I think I shot them. Um because I was like, well, if they're they're going to kill me, then I guess the game wants me to kill them. Right. And that's that's where I went with it. Yep. That's fair enough. And I appreciate the perspective. It was something I was wor- I was not worrying, wondering about. Um mm-hmm. I wonder what would happen if you shoot into the sand. Probably nothing. I'm going to guess nothing because this game doesn't typically give you a ton of options in these, you know, choice scenes. It probably counted as shooting into the air. Perhaps, yeah. So anyway, uh, you lose Lugo. That sucks. Uh, you Lugo was pretty unlikable at the beginning of the game, I thought, but I came to really like like him. Well, I like the whole crew like throughout the course of the game. It's Walker is the one you don't like. So yeah. Um, moving on to the ending. So going to yada, yada, yada through the longest combat thing, but you fight a bunch of people kind of, you know, three man assault on this fortress of a you know tower that they're that conrad is holed up in uh it's difficult i died a bunch of times my first time uh playing it this is the one where you died a bunch and finally noticed the loading screens i don't think that was that point i think it was after this because the tower i i specifically remember the tower that's where you're trying to i'm talking about the last part the part where you're trying to get into the building where conrad is so Lugo, Lugo's dead at this point. Lugo's dead. It's just you and Adams. This is the part where Adams sacrifices himself at the end. Okay. Yeah. 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 It was against that. Um. Yeah. I can't remember. It was like a, it was a sandy part right before the end of the game. Yeah. The, so that's where okay. I died a lot. So it's right before that point. Oh yeah, right. I know what you're you're about. going through these. Um. You're going through these yachts and stuff like that out in the sand. Yeah. Fuck that part. Yeah. That's the one where you're <laughs> alone. You're trying to catch up to Adams and then Lugo. Yes. That part was also really hard. I died a bunch my first time too. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, at the end of the game, yeah, you're you're going through this compound. I actually really like this part. I thought this part of the game was 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 quite brisk and like none of it was really making sense. It was pure chaos in terms yeah. of a set piece thing. Like everything was broken down because at this point you thought you've completely broken them and there's no real explanation about what you're doing i didn't think and i was like what what what? i didn't completely understand it other than you're just kind of chasing walker's demons it's like you're you're doing this because again i mean this is an underlying thing you're doing this because the game is telling you to Mm -hmm. so it's like why am i here why am i going after conrad why can't i just give it up because it, it at this point it became quite apparent that they're trying to stop you almost like an i am legend situation <laughs> that the reason that they're trying to kill you is because you are killing them in on un- 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 mass uh-huh so if you just stopped everything would stop but you can't stop yeah so it that's like at this point it's just like everything i don't get it i i i i, I was just i was completely lost at this point so i read this as from basically the beginning of the game the mission has been to find conrad like follow the source of the distress call find conrad and you get sidetracked by rigs you get sidetracked by killing the radio man but i kind of take as a kind of one of the themes of the game is like walker is so fixated on the mission to find conrad that it doesn't matter what's happening around him. He has extreme tunnel vision. It's Conrad, Conrad. It's all about getting there. 
nothing else matters at this point. That's kind of how I read this. Because you're right, like, let's say Walker just laid down his his guns. I don't think they would be like, okay, all right, come with us, buddy. Everything's okay. But they would probably shoot him dead right here in the spot. Like, I mean, the soldier's outside. Right, okay. They'd shoot him dead on the spot for what he's done because he's a danger and all that. But I saw this as Walker just hyper fixated on the mission above everything else. And I think what's important is you get to the end of this and what you say when Adam sacrifices himself. And I think this is a very important scene to go along with what you're saying Mm -hmm. is Walker does put down his guns. And going back to my theory of Lugo and Adams being the angel and devil character with Adams being more of the angel. Mm -hmm. He's like, we have sacrificed so much for your bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) And you're just going to, you're just going to give up like, fuck this. Yeah. No, 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 no. Like, Mm -hmm. no, we got to do it now because you, you dragged us this far. Yep. And I I think that's a really important scene. It is. And then he sacrifices himself after that. Yes. Yep. Yes. So talking about the endings, I think it's really cool how you get out of the game's biggest firefight, at least in my memory, and immediately everything's calm and peaceful. Like the second you walk through the door, Mm -hmm. they surrender to you. But I mean, this isn't real. They're not really surrendering. Why would they? They had Mm -hmm. you pinned in. Adam sacrificed himself to let you get in the door, but... Let, let's be real. If, if this were a real situation happening, there would be people piling through that door after you, right? Oh, you're fine. So everyone is just like, okay, you know, you, you're you the ruler of Dubai now. You win. Uh, we surrender. So that's weird. Throws you off guard. Also, this is easily the nicest interior space you've been in in the entire game. Like, this is a beautiful uh, building that you're in. And as soon as you walk in, I was just like, hold on. What's going on in here? I thought I was going to have to fight my way to Conrad. I didn't. Okay. I didn't actually had, I had no expectation of what to expect by this point. I, I didn't know if it was going to be a one V one or if there's going to be an army, but mm-hmm. I think it was just because of my own preconceived notions about what you go through about video games at this point. If you're because your character was severely injured and you know, you're getting to the end of the game, you know, there's going to be a lot set, a lot of set pieces and narratives, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I I think by that point, I didn't expect to fight anything like there was still the understanding that something like that might happen. But there I think by that point, I kind of knew the game was winding down and and wanted to give me something different. Like maybe there'd be a boss fight, mm-hmm. but I didn't expect like a, an army of people to come okay. to confront me. Yeah. Were you at least kind of surprised or in a good way or a bad way that it's literally like people are like, nope, we surrender. You win. Yeah, it was entirely. That was weird. That was weird. <laughs> that that was probably one of the most off-putting. If you want to talk about things that just give off all sorts of alarms mm-hmm. of like something weird is about to happen. That's one of the biggest indicators right there. And and there's this littered throughout the game anyway. But that's one of the you're about to get fucked with. Because it seemed like a, a weird scene of like a Metal Gear game at that point, mm-hmm. where it's just like, none of this really makes sense. Why Why is this happening? Why are they just like all buddy-buddy with me now? It's like, was this a test? Was this like something I needed to go through? Or like, nothing is right right now. Nothing is okay with this. Yep. 
And then you walk upstairs, you see Conrad, he's painting a picture, and I believe it's of the burning woman and child from the white phosphorus scene. So again, mm. just weird shit going on. Callbacks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Conrad has a couple of quotes here that I kind of use to support my theory about like what this game is about. I mean, if we zoom in about uh, the kind of war stuff, the character stuff. Conrad has that quote, I think I said earlier, uh, you're here because you wanted to be something you're not, a hero. He also has a quote where he says, if the truth is undeniable, you create your own. Mm. And so those two things together kind of give me that idea that this is like, you know, Walker is trying to be a hero, he's fucking up, and then rationalizing what he did to make himself into the good guy. He is lying to himself. Struggling with all his demons and still trying to be the hero in the end. Yeah. For sure. Even though he has colossally been the the villain the entire yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, he's destroyed the entire city and doomed all the people that are there. Yeah. Again, like a lot of the... Uh, there's a parallel to I Am Legend here, in that sense. I have not seen I Am Legend in a long time. Okay. So just to just to catch you up, I, I more know it for the movie. I know the movie's not as good as the right, book, right. but when Same. does that ever happen? Right. Mm -hmm. But... um. You know, Will Smith is is hunting vampires, and he's the last man on Earth. Right. But at the end, at the end of the movie, and I, from what I understand, the book, he realizes that because everyone is vampires, he is now the monster. Whereas before, when it was all humans, mm -hmm. the vampire was the monster. Mm -hmm. gotcha. So he became he became the monster he became the monster that he sought out to destroy. I mean, that's definitely what's going on in this game. Yes. There's another quote here. I didn't mention PTSD because it, it seemed to take a backseat to some of the other things. I don't think this game is about PTSD, but no. it's a thing in the game for sure. And there's a, a, a line from Conrad that I really like here where he says, uh, there's a line men like us have to cross. If we're lucky, we do what's necessary and then we die kind of insinuating that it's better to not live on after this. Even if this is real in any way, it's better to die right here and not live with this. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been in combat and I mean, I'm in the military. I'm very lucky. I've never had to be in combat yeah. or, or be in anything where I feel like my life is at an imminent threat at any given point, but I can completely understand that. So when you, all that I've seen from war is how well it's simulated in these games. So when you think about it, like it, you have a line to cross and if they're lucky, they cross the line. Of course, spec ops, the line, there it is. Hey, it's the mm -hmm. line about the line. Yep. <laughs> um, they do what's necessary. Then they die because I, I can't imagine personally, what it'd be like to see, to, to have to go in and just like kill multiple people and then see uh, people, that I I work with on a daily basis die. No, <laughs> no way. There's no way. So and that's and there's a line that they put in a loading screen that they said if Lugo had survived, he would have PTSD. In a sense, he's the lucky one. Fuck. And that's yeah. that's on a loading screen. Yeah. <laughs> so it does have stuff to say about PTSD. Whereas you know you send people off to war, and when they come back, they're they're permanently scarred. And it's for some people, they probably would prefer that they are dead. Now, again, I'm not saying that everyone who comes back from war would prefer that they were dead. I understand that that's a 
That's a massive statement to make. And it's probably, it's probably completely inappropriate because me has not being a combat veteran. Uh, that's not my place to make that analysis. I, I cannot say that. That's impossible for me to say. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, if you're just trying to place yourself in that position in a, in a mental state and trying to analyze, uh, analyze what that could potentially be like, it's completely relatable and understanding point that sometimes the prolonged effects of being in a terrible situation could potentially be worse than just having that situation end within the the moment itself yeah so yeah i'm definitely not trying to like act like i'm the expert on this at all Uh, it's just an interesting quote and it's an interesting thing to think about given everything that's happened uh in this game and i did not i don't think i saw that loading screen uh that you mentioned there that's pretty fucked up i like it a lot Mm -hmm. yes so um let's talk about the endings. So you have this conversation with Conrad. It's a lot of, um, a lot of good quotes that I just brought up there. Um, you have a choice. You can shoot Conrad. You can let him shoot you. Do you remember what you did? So I did what I would have normally done because this point again, achievements. Uh, so the, I, I shot Conrad. Right. Uh, because I mean, one, because I, I felt if I shot myself there, there would be less game to play. It would end again. That's another gaming trope. Mm-hmm. Like if you, the main character dies, then the, the game is yeah. over. Yep. Yeah. So obviously you want to prolong the gameplay and see if there's any more story elements to it. And so I would, that's what I did. I shot Conrad because if I live, then there's probably more to see plot mm-hmm. wise. And that's probably what I do anyway, because in, in that's the element. If I'm looking at it from a plot perspective, that's the element of my mind that's telling me to do the bad things that's encouraging me to to kind of be the prick that's that's it's it's deviating me but at the same time it's mocking me while deviating me and i think that's another underlining point throughout the game too is whenever you're facing mockery or the enemy seems to be somewhat sarcastic uh what they're they're actually more saying the truth this goes back to when they're trying to evacuate all the civilians right Mm-hmm. And they're almost saying it in a mocking way, like, oh, come on, let's go. <laughs> you better hurry up or mm-hmm. you're going to die or something like that. Right. Yeah. But the reality is, is that that's not what they're really saying. They're actually trying to protect them. Mm-hmm. And then when anything is like really serious, it's almost telling you to do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of what I got from the end of the game, too, is that here's the guy who's mocking you. And when you really think about it, he is telling you to kill yourself because that's the best way to deal deal with it. Okay. Even though he's mocking you, but it's the mockery. Mm-hmm. And so I I would have killed Comrade, I think regardless. Yeah. So if you let Conrad kill you, uh your intuition was correct because that is the end and uh, you it's revealed that Walker killed himself. You know, it, it's very clear at this point Conrad is uh long dead. If you shoot Conrad, uh, like I did too. I, I shot Conrad the first time you, uh, there's a transition. You see Conrad's long decomposed body. So he wasn't there. Uh, if you shoot him, you have another choice to make, uh, because, uh, Walker will radio for help. A rescue party comes and, uh, you have the choice to lay down your guns and go with the rescue party, or you can open fire on them and you get a different ending depending on what you did. So do you remember what you did here? I gave up my arms. 
Totally gave it my arms. Mm-hmm. Yep. Me too. So that gives you an ending where Walker's kind of riding in a vehicle. Uh, one of the rescue team asks, how did you survive? And Walker says, who says I did? And I think this is a good uh, ending. Number one, because of the, you know, hallucination fade to white stuff, of course, but also the PTSD stuff, right? Like who, who says I did survive this? Yeah. It, it could mean that he's been dead the entire time too, doing, doing that dream sequence. That's also a, a hypothesis for this right. game, but I think it's actually what you're saying is a better one that you're, you're going back with the mental scars of everything that you did. Are you really the same person you are that you went into? Did that person who came into that situation die? Mm-hmm. And the other ending kind of deals with that too. And I misspoke earlier. This is where that, you know, men like us have a line to cross quote is in, mm-hmm. is in the other ending. Uh, if you kill the rescue team, which is a pretty tough fight, uh, but if you kill all of them, oh, sorry, I got confused. If you open fire and die, then there's a new ending where you get that scene or you get that quote from Conrad. Mm-hmm. Men like us have a line to cross. If they're lucky, they cross the line, do what's necessary, and then die. Uh, Kind of implying that, again, you're forever changed by the things that happen. There's no going back to normal life, right? Um, Have you seen these other endings? Yes. Okay. I got Uh, all three of them. Yeah. So my second playthrough, I did the, you know, open fire on the rescue team ending, and I um, was able to defeat them and then uh he gets on their radio and he just says gentlemen welcome to dubai which was one of the first quotes from the game um when you first start uh after the helicopter part i believe Mm -hmm. and it shows that he's completely broken at this point Mm -hmm. i actually think that's the worst ending it's it's pretty rough because i mean if you just take a second and think about like okay what happens after this ending nothing good no, no. And I also think like by this point, like, I don't know. I remember opening fire on them and not even thinking I could defeat all of them. I didn't even think that would have been an option. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. I don't of know that. why I thought that. <laughs> yeah, because well, there's it was like um, it seemed insurmountable. But yeah, I ended up I think I ended up killing them all in the first time I tried. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I can do this. This is strange. But uh. I actually think out of those three endings, that's the worst one. Yeah, it's pretty rough to think about. Any of the endings where Walker dies, that's fair enough. He deserves to die very clearly, right? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, the one where he gets rescued, I like that from a kind of thematic, just from that last quote. I really enjoy that last quote there. You know, who says I did survive? Mm -hmm. So altogether... If we're swearing by the theory that fade to white means that this is hallucination, um, I think that this is a retelling, like Walker's mind's retelling of real things that happened. So I do think that he, Lugo and Adams, went to Dubai on this rescue mission. They did pick up a distress call. They did follow it, et cetera, et cetera. But everything is so warped that all of the things you see, uh, all the things you hear, the deep purple I didn't notice this my first or second playthrough, but there are a bunch of uh, billboards and banners around the city with Conrad's face on it, which is why yep. would those be there, right? <laughs> so I I, I kind of subscribe to the theory that everything in the game happened to some degree until like the very end. And this is a 
minds retelling after Walker has died sometime um, of what happened. I'm, I'm going to stick with my own theory that I actually just thought about while doing this episode. Okay. That this entire game is just supposed to be a game. Like, this is supposed to be a, a fourth wall breaking experience where you're, you're not supposed to necessarily take everything as like an event that happened or didn't happen because mm-hmm. it, it's more speaking to you as a player of a video game and a military shooter. That's more speaking more directly to you as the player, as a player of a video game, as opposed to an actual scenario that's happening uh, within a, within a real construct. Yeah. I, I totally like, I think both of those things are happening at the same time. Sure. Oh yeah. 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 I just place like the, the greater plot. I place more on like the character side of things. Then there are those individual moments throughout the game that is like very specific, feels like very specific commentary on the nature of video games, but specifically uh, shooters to me. Yeah. I would love to hear what the developer officially thinks. I don't think we're ever, maybe, (laughs) maybe he did put it out there, but maybe, maybe he didn't. I'm not sure, but yeah, who knows? It's it's, It's probably better if he doesn't. It's definitely better if they don't, I think. You you kind of said something in the episode that kind of feels good to me that like with the amount of times they fuck with you throughout the game, why wouldn't the developer continue to fuck with you after the game is over? You know, that Absolutely. is true. And I, I'm i just generally too trusting to uh, to think that that could be true, but you never know. So it is an endlessly interesting game. I have uh, really enjoyed this conversation. This is a lot of times the spoiler section of the this show we just don't have enough meat to talk about, you know, dig deep into. And I feel really good about this one. This was a lot of fun. Oh, I agree. Thank you so much for having this conversation, too, because I've been waiting forever <laughs> to have this conversation with somebody. Yeah, it's so relieving because you can't talk about this game like this with people mm-hmm. who haven't played it. One, because you don't want to. The other is because they just they wouldn't understand unless they have. So thank you for having me on for this. And I'm um, yeah, I mean this that this the spoiler portion was definitely it definitely had a lot of meat on the bone. So I'm 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 grateful <laughs> that you had me on. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dave. And I'm just remembering right now just the struggle of the non-spoiler part. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. It's all worth it. It's yep. all worth it. Definitely. And I hope that everyone listening feels the same way. So thank you everybody for listening. Uh one more time check out Retro Hangover. It has a good recommendation from me. It's a solid show. Good hosts good times. Thank you once again for listening. Stay tuned for the next game that comes out of the backlog. 